small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey, everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis Moonves. And joining us tonight for uh, his listener series episode. He's been here before, but that's because I invited him to be here before. Tonight, I did not invite him. He just shoved a topic down my throat, and now here we are. No. Uh, this gentleman you know, as uh, he was one of our sure microphone uh, pitchmen. He was in the uh, the booth laying down a vocal track. Mm-hmm. He was here for the, uh, the live episode we did, and he was here, uh, uh, like I said, another time before. He's also been on uh, on the page, and he has his own uh, podcast called Notation Pod. Musical Notation. Damn it. Notation Pod is the, the Twitter handle. That's how I know it. <laughs> uh, at Notation Pod, and that is West Anthony. Hello, West. Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to be back. It's wonderful to have you here. We, are, uh, we have a great topic, which they already know about it because they've read it, but we will let you introduce it in a minute because I love the title that you came up with. Uh, West, you and I saw... Uh, Electric Light Orchestra, uh, just about a month ago, I think, from tonight. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a, it was a very good show. It was a very good show. Uh, it was one of those set lists where you're like, oh, he didn't play these songs, but he did play all these songs. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, my friend Rebecca, hi, Rebecca, uh, <coughs> she she had the same the same issue with the show. It's like, because you know, they have so many hits that you know they, it's they tough could, they could have done a whole second show equally as long and played more songs that you all know by heart right and you would still be left wanting more so that's true but uh, i think what we got out of him i think was was stellar i mean this, yeah because i don't think he's i don't think we're ever going to see him again i mean at this point i mean he's 70 but he, then you never know i don't think he really wants to do it he just well i mean michelle <laughs> Michelle Sinclair told me, and her mom is um, is Jeff's longtime uh, girlfriend. Uh-huh. And she said her mom makes him get out and do it. Wow. And he, he told her, he says that he's, he doesn't want to do it because he's afraid people won't show up. Wow. Well, I mean, that's, that's a classic artist insecurity. And the... Um, I'm and afraid people won't listen to this. We're not recording, so there's no... <laughs> do, we're not recording, right, Kyle? We're just talking. Yeah, I don't know. We're not even, we don't even have headphones or mics. We don't have songs. Um, another thing, the night that Siegel and I uh, met him briefly and we took pictures with him, I said to him, I said, uh, I, I patted him on the back and I go, thanking him for taking a picture with us. I said, I said Thank, thanks, Jeff, you're the best. And he said, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, like, I know, it's crazy, right? He, I mean, that's the thing. When every, anytime you hear an interview with him or you see him on TV, he is, he is humble beyond measure. Yes. Almost yeah. to the point where it's, it's kind of comical. I know. But, you know, but he is like, you know, one of the, the titans of, of rock and roll. Oh, and, absolutely. And I, I kind of like that about him, that he's never really, you know, completely shed his, his Birmingham roots. He's just a guy from, you know, a quiet little street in uh, Shard End. And that's... That's one of the things that I like about it. That's in Los Feliz, right? <laughs> is that where that is? No, no. Shard End uh, is over in, in Birmingham. Speaking of ELO, have you listened to the two-disc uh, version of Secret Messages yet? Yes, I have. I, I went out and bought, well, I mean, I ordered it, and then they went out and brought it to me. Yeah, I got it on vinyl, 
Where then, do they leave their pack your packages? Do you have them sent to your work or do they leave them at your house? Uh Sometimes, sometimes it's, it depends on, you know, sometimes I'll have it to deliver to uh, the office and sometimes I have stuff delivered to my home. And Anything ever stolen from your home? Never had anything stolen. We'll change that. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, this, there's drawbacks to both, to either delivery thing. Because see, most of the, the postal carriers, they'll just bring it up to my door and they'll leave it there and okay. they'll go on their merry way. But there's one guy who won't. And... He'll like, you know, he'll leave a message and leave a that. little note and then I got to go and pick it up. And That's luckily, the worst. Yeah. Luckily, my post office happens to be right around the corner from where I live. It's, oh, it's, that is good. It's very close by. So that's not a big deal. But still, it's like, you know, when you're really waiting for something and you, you, you can't wait to have it and you want to go home yeah. and, and there it is. And it's like, nope, you got to come and pick it up. Well, also, it's and you probably get home and you probably get home after the post office closes. Uh, yep. Unless I'm taking the train. Mm-hmm. The, okay. If I take the train, I can get to the, uh, I get there with like 15 minutes to spare. All right. And, all they're right. All, and they're all very pleasant in there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Lovely, lovely people. Now, <laughs> the drawback to uh, having stuff delivered to the office is that sometimes, you know, the, the Amazon drivers, wow. Wow, are they bad. <laughs> they, I, I've had a, a situation where they completely failed to deliver something one day, the day that it was supposed to be. And I was monitoring it on my phone. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's out for delivery. And then there's some three stuff. stops like, away. Oh, we couldn't, we couldn't get in. It's like the hell you couldn't get in. Everybody can get into this building. It's not like I'm yeah. in an underground bunker in Glendale. It's an office building. The doors are open. There's a security guy in there. So even if it was locked, the security guy's going to let you in. So I, Amazon drivers in general, I mean, even coming to my home, there was one time where I got a call and it turned out to be an Amazon driver saying, oh yeah, can, you know, I have your package. Can you come down and get it from me? It's like, okay. Well, in all fairness, it was a, it was a 17 disc, uh, quiet riot set. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, most of the time I have stuff to send to my home and I have, I have very good neighbors. I live in a very nice building in a relatively quiet neighborhood. I won't tell you all where it is because it's loaded with the uh, fun stuff and I don't want anybody to come in and steal it. I've had things stolen from places that I've lived and it's always been something that like, like I feel like they would just return it because they'd be right. like, oh, a Batman Funko, get out of here. I don't want this. <laughs> what is, what the Who hell lives is in there, this? a child? Oh, I stole this from a child. Apparently a 13-year-old got emancipated <laughs> and he has his own apartment because... <laughs> But maybe they have somebody else that they can give it to, or maybe they're going to sell it on eBay. You never know. I mean, it seems like everybody's selling everything on eBay, so I don't know. Kyle is wearing a Batman hat, Batman Beyond hat, Mm -hmm. and a Batman shirt, because today is September 15th. It's hashtag Batman Day. Wait, how can you tell the hat is Batman Beyond? It just looks like a Batman logo. Because this is the logo, because you can see it's skinnier up top and the bottom, and has only so many points. Terry McGinnis, right? Yep. Uh, Terry McGinnis was the Batman of the future, and Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne was his. What were you gonna say? I didn't come here to listen about deliveries and Batman. No, if I wanted to know about Amazon, I'd order something, and have my own problems. One star, unlistenable. Um, now, Kyle, you took a nap today. We were we had Thai food, and then I left the house for fifteen minutes, and I thought I'd come back, and we were gonna watch. What are we going to watch? Oh, Commando. Who's in that? That's uh, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Alyssa Milano. Uh, and yet, no, like I, I, that pad tie just made me real sleepy. That's the worst. And then we didn't watch it. Nope. 
Well, I have mean, a nice net nap and I'll it, be up all night. It's mm-hmm. not like you'll never be able to watch it. I mean, <laughs> well, no, because we bought it. They deleted it from iTunes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then you're screwed. We, Sorry, we, everyone. We bought it at CD Trader for three dollars. With a, a DVD or Blu-ray? A DVD. Oh, okay. I don't like that I on got Blu-ray. A, I got a DVD. It's harder to throw it away if it's on Blu-ray. Four dollars. <laughs> that was Tango and Cash and. Uh, Cobra, Cobra, double feature, double wow. feature, du- double feature. Yeah, That's we were. Hey, Mister Luthor, we saw a double feature. There's hardly enough entertainment between the two of them for a single feature. I'll, t- I'll tell you, Cobra. Cobra is way more watchable. I was going to ask West which one he thought was more watchable. More watchable? Yeah, it would probably be Cobra. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, Tango and Cash. It's just really just. It's like a buddy comedy for dullards. It's, it's like <laughs> it's like I typed into YouTube. Best moments from all nine Tango and Cash movies. And it was edited together in an hour and a half. Because it's yeah. like, I was like doing the dishes and I looked up and they're in prison. Then I like so did ridiculous. something else. And they're, they're in like a minivan with a Gatling gun on the side. They're, they're in a shower, just the two of them. They're naked. They're, they're showering. And they're talking and they're, show- and they're naked. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Kurt Russell drops the soap. And then Stallone makes it, you're already seeing each other totally naked. Why would you all of a sudden now make a dumb joke? Yeah, Will, yeah, what are you doing? No, the, the even more ridiculous part is they're going into the prison and things are like just on fire. Yeah, and, in the prison. And, and like, it's like a riot, but everyone's still in their cells and the guards just act like that's yep. normal. And they haven't taken any of Stallone's personal goods from him. He's got a gold necklace on, he's got glasses, a watch. <laughs> I mean, it's like, no, they're in their street clothes and they're entering, or no, they're not in their street clothes, but he still has like these person. it's so dumb. That film was directed by a Russian filmmaker named Andrei Konchalovsky. Directed, Did you just look this up or do you know this in your mind? I, I looked it up to verify okay. it because I was pretty sure it was him, but I needed to verify it. He directed a film in 1985. There's a film called Runaway Train with, yes. with John Voight and Eric Roberts mm-hmm. and Rebecca DuMarnay. It is one of the best adventure films of the 80s. Well, I oh. assume this... Tango and, and you, Cash. You see that movie, and then you look at Tango and Cash, and you think that can't possibly be the same guy unless he's been kicked in the head by a horse. Well, now in his the defense, same. that's two movies about train wrecks. <laughs> train wrecks. I mean, yeah, he he's, was fired, and there was all kinds of other stuff. He has since gone back to Russia, and that movie might be why. <laughs> he's, he's, why didn't they get him to direct Red Heat with Schwarzenegger and uh, Jim Belushi? I have to see if we can find that for three bucks. Yeah. That's I'm the worst. I'm sure you can. That's the worst. I think that's they a Walter Hill film, to too. Is that? Uh, I think it is. It might be. Yeah. Look it up. See if it's I bet Walter you could Hill. find it in a, in a double feature with K9. I bet I could find it in the dumpster if I went out back. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's not K9. It's, uh, uh, it's, um, no, it is K9. You're like, but, yeah, that's, but the, that's you're the Jim right. Belushi movie with the dog. But there's right? a sequel called K911. Oi. How awful. Why is there? Yeah, it's Walter Hill. Walter Hill. Wow. I mean, that that guy has had some ups and downs. I tell you what. (laughs) Yep. It's like either it's great and then it is the worst. It's either 48 hours or it's another 48 hours. (laughs) Well, I mean, he definitely did at least one movie that is great and also the worst. And that's uh, Crossroads. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, that's with uh, Steve Eyes in that. He's the devil, right? He plays the guitar. He's the devil's personal shredder. Yes. That's the thing. All right. (laughs) And uh, Ralph Macchio? Yeah. Did Macchio learn to play guitar or is he miming it? Did they just he, zoom in on someone else's he, hands? He learned some of it. They zoom in and it's just some but, old, old black yeah, blues I mean, player's hands. He, he can't do all, all of the really elaborate stuff that they need the character to do in the movie. But Steve Vai can. Oh, yeah. Steve Vai definitely can. And that's that's one of the things that makes the movie so preposterous mm-hmm. because 
you know, for those of you who don't know, spoiler alert, but for a 32 year old movie, mm-hmm. but the, the climactic scene in the film is a guitar duel in hell between Ralph Macchio <laughs> and Steve Vai. Yep. And, and anybody and who knows crane kicks Steve Vai. <laughs> Kicks his guitar right out of his hand. <laughs> Anybody who knows anything about rock and roll knows there's no way in hell Ralph Macchio, mm-hmm. literally no way yeah. in hell Ralph Macchio is going to beat Steve Vai in a guitar duel. Plus, if they're in hell, why wouldn't uh, Jimi Hendrix get in on this? Well, why would <laughs> why would Jimi Hendrix be in hell? What's what's the matter with you? <laughs> Racist. <laughs> he was the only guitarist I could think of that's dead. Oh, well, okay. But I mean, still. And, and, and was dead at the time that movie came out. Yeah. What are you looking up, Kyle? Oh, I was looking at Crossroads. Oh, yeah. It's, We're not, I'm not watching that ever. No. no way. I don't have any desire. But I'll imitate Steve, it, it's Steve a, Vai's guitar. Goes, That's it. It is a pleasantly nutty movie. <laughs> is Pat Morita in it to train him on guitar? No. <laughs> uh, Wes, tell us... And tell everyone what the title of the episode is tonight. The title of this episode, and, and it's not super literal, uh, although I tried to make it so, uh, is The Complete and Utter History of L.A. Rock. And that came about because uh, not too long ago, I think maybe two or three years ago, you mm-hmm. had a guest here. Mike Beats. Okay, and he mm-hmm. did an episode where he was playing music from... Minnesota. Know, yeah, bands from his home state, I guess, of Minnesota. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's cute. But, but I'm sure that we have... Mike, I apologize. I'm sure... No, it was a good episode, but it started me thinking. We have more excellent artists that came out of Los Angeles alone than came out of his whole state. Now, do you count bands that like came here from another state but made it in L.A. as an L.A. band, or did they have to have started, formed, and started here? They, bands that started here, if they came from another part of the world mm-hmm. or part of the country to seek their fortune, but they started here as a band. Cause like, in fact, just a, a band you, of, you have Tom Petty on your, and the heartbreakers on the list that you sent me. Yeah. And I always felt that they were, but, but mud crutch started in Florida. Tom Petty himself on stage at his penultimate concert, his, his concert at the Hollywood bowl. Okay. He said from the stage, I have a bootleg. I didn't get to see the concert. Okay. I wish okay. I had. He said from the stage that, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers is an LA band. Okay. And I take him at his word. I mean, but because that's the thing. When he when the guys came to Los Angeles, they were a band called Mud Crutch. Yes. And they tried to get something going and then they didn't, and the band broke up. And then they tried to get Tom Petty going, his management tried to get him uh, going on a solo career. And then he happened to run into Ben Montench mm-hmm. and Ron Blair and Mike Campbell. And they were all going to some studio in Santa Monica to record some demos because they were going to do their own thing. And he said, Hey Tom, why don't you come with us? And he came with them and saw them playing and said, what am I doing? This is my band. This is the band. And that's what happened. And so they were formed here in Los Angeles. They're an L.A. band. I will brook no denial. <laughs> so, and then a band, that we were, a band that we were talking about just you know earlier, uh, Poison, mm-hmm. came from your neck of the woods. They came from Pittsburgh. Mechan- Harris, Harris, Mechanicsburg. Mechanicsburg, yeah. Mechanicsburg, Mechanicsburg Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. They came down here to, to seek their fortunes. So they don't count. No, they do count. Oh, we could, we could, even though they even though they started in Pennsylvania, but when they started recording as a band as Poison, mm-hmm. they were here in Los Angeles. So, so that's the thing. There's, All right. there's plenty of people right. who have made their way to this town mm-hmm. to to start their careers, and that was another thing that made me think about this episode because all of you. I mean, you two, and then all of the other rock solid co-hosts, mm-hmm. 
you all come from someplace all else. come from somewhere. I am a Los Angeles native. I was born here. I mean, I know that ICE agents are beating down my door trying to tell me otherwise, but <laughs> but I was born here. I've lived in Los Angeles, and then I've spent some years in Orange County, but I've been around here my whole life. And you are and a prideful citizen of Southern California. I think LA is the greatest city in the world. I've been to New York. I love New York. I, I had a great time while I was there. But honestly, I think, it, I think it's that song, you know? I think that song has served as propaganda for like the last 40 years. You know, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. Well, you know, come to Los Angeles. If you can make it here, you've made it, and you're here. It's a win-win. <laughs> so that's, I mean, the, and New York has a lot of great things going for it, but there, there's also just like a lot of tension, and people take this weird pride in like living on top of each other. Hey. Yeah. I mean, it's New York is like the mean girl in high school who makes fun of you because you refuse to get drunk and blow the basketball team. <laughs> but hey, LA, you're not going to drink and blow people. <laughs> Fuck you. But LA, I think, you know, I, I know people detractors like to say that, you know, everybody is stupid and, and, you know, people are, 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 are airy and artsy fartsy or what have you. But you know, there's and also I I find that every time you hear you know the all everyone that lives in New York just turned the, the episode off. No, that's their problem. But I find that, can't you just tell us the difference between talk, cats and dogs instead? <laughs> What's it like to fly on an airplane? A lot, a lot of times when you hear people in in show business here in LA, they they complain about Los Angeles because they say oh, everybody's in everybody here's in show business. They all want to talk about the entertainment business, and that is not the case. There's yeah. like maybe like ten percent of people in LA are in show business. Right. I'm not in show business. Nobody, ne neither Kyle and I, almost nobody I know <laughs> is, is in show business. And you got to just get out of your bubble. And I hear there's no business like show business. <laughs> no, no business. I know, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. All of you guys, uh, you know, so, you know, you guys are from Pennsylvania right. and I know that, uh, uh, well, we had to go somewhere. Yeah. We had to, we had to get out of there. Right. And, and April comes from Georgia mm -hmm. and then, uh, Let's see. Uh, somebody comes from from Texas, I think. Yeah, Spinal Tap has a song about our uh, our home state. It's called Hell Hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I would hope that all of you, when you know you, you now that you're here and you've been here for a while, I love it here. Yeah, I hope that you you have an appreciation for this city because there's just so much great stuff in it. There's so many wonderful things to do, and there's all kinds of neat people. And I I love this town. That's oh. why I came up with this idea. I'm just basically sort of waving the flag for the city of Los well, Angeles. Now we've run out of time to play any songs. <laughs> well, goodbye, everybody. So you broke it down into, um, into decades. We're going to play songs first from the 50s. Yep. I don't know, I don't know what you have against the, the 40s. Uh, the, the rock era started in the 1950s. All right, That's good why. answer. So we're going to go 40s, then we're going to go, uh, I'm sorry, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s. Yep. The 210s. So that's um, that's seven decades. I told you that you could bring three songs per decade, and that I would bring two per decade. So that means you'll start you, me, you, me, and then you, and then we move on. Got Sound it. good? No problem. This was very difficult, and you sent a very detailed list of uh, not bands that I had to choose from, but it was extremely helpful, especially especially like for the fifties. Yeah. But I do love fifties music, but I wasn't sure who came from here. No, okay. Wes has 141 songs. Well, that's because he's going to make hard and fast choices, probably according to maybe yeah. what uh, what I choose. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, right? I have my picks. So, but you have 140 songs. That's too many. Oh, you no, have, we're, you we're not going to play all of them. But I didn't know you what 15. you were going to play. That's true. So I figured, 
And then also, if you pick the same thing that I picked, then and you'll play we'll, something else. Yeah, I don't know if we need to do that. But all right, I bet that's going to happen twice. Okay, that's just my number. What? How many times do you think there'll be a crossover, Kyle? Did you shower today? <laughs> no, hence okay. the hat. Um, maybe two. Maybe two. Okay, so All right. so you're in agreement then. Okay. Oh, is that what he said too? No, that's what I just said. Oh, okay. I didn't say anything. No, we have a we have a situation here at the studio tonight too. The uh, the bathroom is not working. The toilet uh, something happened with the toilet, mm-hmm. so we can't use it. But what was my suggestion? If, if the three of us have to pee, sink right in the sink all together. Yeah, you probably should cross the streams. That. Probably should have said that in front of a microphone where your wife could hear it later on. She doesn't listen anymore. Oh, okay. She just, she used to, oh, burn, burn me a copy. I'll burn me a copy. Now. I'll throw it out on the way there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'll throw it away. I'll put it in the shredder. Oh, burn I can't a copy. hear any more journey. <laughs> um, could you give me one of those shredders that'll shred a disc? <laughs> Why no, do you need that no for? No reason. No reason. Just have it at the office. Is there one that would work with my the lighter in my car? <laughs> uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, Los Angeles, the okay. 1950s. Let's go back. What's happening in the 50s in Los Angeles? Are you going to tell us stuff like that, West? Uh, maybe if something springs to mind. The but, cable uh, car strike had just started. <laughs> <laughs> Was there? Is there? Is there? Uh, is there? Uh, I think we had gotten rid of the streetcars by that time. Yeah, I was thinking by, of by the uh, 50s. San Francisco. I was actually thinking of Who Frayed Roger Rabbit, but yeah, that takes well, place in the 40s. Yeah, but we did have streetcars. Wow. Yeah, that See? was a long time ago. They were all named Desire. What do you this? think? There? I thought he was, oh, you're taking a picture? No, Hi. no. This is my grandfather's streetcar pass from 1936. Wow, look at that. He has it under his uh, phone case. That's a real thing. Is that we, under your case? Yes, is that underneath? Is. Yeah. That's we, pretty. It's in it's in pristine condition. It was in it was in between between the pages of his yearbook. We found it. You know, after my grandfather died a few years ago, and my mother and I had been slowly sort of going through the the house and picking up stuff that we wanted to save and stuff that we thought we could get rid of. And that was one of the things that uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just felt a real connection to to that one thing. We had streetcars. It's, it's it's very cool. I, I actually think that's a really cool thing, and I like how you have it displayed. Yeah, I just we had streetcars that went. From Santa Monica all the way out to Riverside, they went. They went and, all around. And now we have literally no public transportation. No, no, we have public transportation. It's just that it's that it's, would be the one thing about Los Angeles is the public transportation isn't great. Like you can't get to the airport unless you're in a car. Yeah, there, there's definitely room for improvement. Yeah, which I imagine they're probably working on before the Olympics get here. <laughs> when is that going to be? I believe twenty. Either it's either 2020 or 2024. I think that's that's think when we're getting. It's 24, I think. Yeah, I think that's right too. Because I think it was like, it was between us and Paris, <laughs> and Paris got 2020, and we got 2024. 20, mm-hmm. So we right. better update the Coliseum because it's a piece of trash. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, <laughs> I haven't been there in a long time. It's like oh, like on TV, it looks nice and pristine, yeah. but then when you're there in person, it's like. It's gross. Like they need to like power wash <laughs> it. Gross. It's just, like yellowed and like. Yeah. I haven't been to a concert there in 30 years. Why don't we get some of those white sponges and go oh, down like there. Like a magic eraser. Magic eraser sponge, uh, Mr. Clean style and get down there and give it a once over. I didn't come here for tips around the house. Yeah. If I wanted to know how to clean, I'd watch something else. I'd write to hints from Heloise. How, how about how witty I was? I would watch something else. I didn't even have an example of something that you could watch. I, would, I wouldn't listen to this. And this, this isn't even a TV show. <laughs> 
So watch doesn't even make sense. Wes, what's your first 50 song from a Los Angeles band? Well, we're going to start. Can I trust that you're not going to pull a fast one and try to play? Like you're not going to slip Sinatra in there and go, yeah, he started out here, really. No, mm-hmm. he started in New Jersey. All right. <laughs> so All right. otherwise I would. But also he's not really from, from the rock era. So. Okay. But we're starting right at the top, 1950. Uh, Percy Mayfield was a guy born in uh, Minden, Louisiana. And he started performing in Texas, but he moved to Los Angeles in 1942. He was signed to a Swing Time Records in 1947. So this is where he began his recording career. And he wrote this song that we're going to hear. And he later also wrote Hit the Road Jack, which you might remember. From, Don't you uh, come back. Yeah, no more. No more. But this song is called Please Send Me Someone to Love. Heaven, please send to all mankind understanding and peace in mind. But if it's not asking too much, please send me someone to love, someone to love. Show the world how. Very nice. Doesn't doesn't ring as rock and roll to me so much, yeah, but because that, that came out of the uh, the era in, through the '40s into the '50s, mm-hmm. there was a really thriving jazz scene in Los Angeles and the Central Avenue, and that part of Los Angeles where there was lots of jazz clubs. And the thing is, I I included this one because this was the point where that jazz music and those those sounds started to sort of tip over into rock and roll. Okay. That was, that was where it, it really began happening. I feel like this episode is going to have a lot of texture since we're going for, for seven decades. That's what I would like. What if we just jumped all around? Okay, and now we're going to play one from 2001. What? This isn't good. Uh, okay, I'm going to take us to the, the end of the 50s, 1959. The musician is Eddie Cochran. Cool. Going to play a song that was co-written by Eddie's girlfriend... Uh, Sharon Sheely, and uh, and Eddie's brother, Bob Cochran. Now, look, Eddie, they were obviously fucking. You let those two in the stu- to write songs together? Yeah, I'm just going to write something with Bob. Is that That's cool, right? Yeah. Do you know where my negligee is? <laughs> <laughs> it helps me write. And Bob, Bob, Bob likes to write uh, shirts and skins, is what he says. So... <laughs> All right, have fun. Come back with something good. (laughs) Well, they did. They came back with something good. They came back with something else. Look at that. Here she comes. I don't understand this line of she's trapped with my brother. We can never be. What's that line? <laughs> so that's in the third verse, but it, it is there. Now, I became aware of that song because uh, just so many people have covered it. Yeah. And the first cover I think I heard was actually uh, one of my favorite bands. Uh, my wife says uh, they're not very good, are they? 
but UFO has a great cover of the song Something Else. Oh, really? I don't think I've heard that one. Yeah, from the uh, Mechanics album. So if okay. we weren't playing 172 songs, I would play that version <laughs> for you. But Yeah, Eddie Cochran, unfortunately, his, uh, his life was cut very short. He was only 21 years old when he died in England in a taxi accident. Kyle, you outlived Eddie Cochran. Yep, so it's far. funny when I see pictures of him, he doesn't look 21. He looks 40. Well, that's, a, you know, a lot of people from that era, it's like they always then somehow look a lot older than, than they were. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how that happened, but it's yeah, a weird thing. The, the name of the taxi driver was George Martin. Wow. That's weird. It wasn't the George Martin, but yeah. But, well, that's uh, like my so pool, my pool say. guy, yeah. my pool guy is Brian Jones. Wow. And that's true. You should keep him away from that pool. I when know. I was looking up Percy Mayfield, yeah. his guitarist his guitarist's name was Chuck Norris. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, and here's a weird thing that actually happened. So after the accident, mm-hmm. so they as part of the investigation, he didn't have a seatbelt on, did he? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think anybody did. Because nah. there was like, there were there were five people in all in in that car. Because there was the driver, there was Eddie Cochran, there was Gene Vincent. There was Eddie's manager and there was Eddie's girlfriend. Oh, so two Eddie people. You know, and <laughs> Did the girlfriend make it so that she could make a life with every, Bob Cochran? Everybody else lived. Thank Except Eddie. Eddie. Eddie was the only one who died. Where, where, where was he positioned in the car, I wonder? I'm not sure. Underneath. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually riding but, in the trunk. But after the accident, so they have to take everything from the scene of the accident to the local police station. So that includes the wrecked car and everything that was in it that was not mm-hmm. a human being. And so among those things was Eddie Cochran's guitar. Okay? So a young constable by the name of David Harmon, he taught himself how to play guitar on this dead guy's guitar. And he later became Dave D of the band Dave D, Dozy Beaky, Making Titch. Okay, he's very <laughs> famous. <laughs> I've never heard of that man. Oh, well, I mean, but you've heard of Dave D, Dozy Beaky, making Titch. No. I think oh. we have, because someone played it on this show. Really? Because I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah they did a song. Uh, they, they, their song was, uh, it was called Hold Tight. It was featured very prominently in that Quentin Tarantino movie, um, Death Proof. It was a song that the, oh, all the yeah. girls were listening to before yes. they got slammed. And- yes. All right. That's, that's actually, I just told Kyle the other night, I've never seen the... Um, the death proof or the, uh, what's the that's Plan- planet terror, planet terror or the death proof. Grindhouse. They're okay. Grindhouse. I own it. I own it. That's I a, like the, I own it, but you've never seen it. I nope. like the experience so of watching it. <laughs> All right. Why are you holding the mic? Like Murray does. <laughs> you like, you look like you're about ready. To, you're using that mic as a pillow. <laughs> uh, it's, comfortable. it's back to me now, right? No. Did you play a song? No, uh, no, we didn't. you did. Oh. And I was going to play an Eddie Cochran song. Oh, okay. But now what are you going to do? So, well, now I'm going to go to uh, Richie Valens because uh, that's, what, you know. You have the, to. The great uh, legends of rock and roll. And also, you know, I mean, look, I'm a Mexican. Uh, Wait, I what? When, <laughs> I love it when Stop Mexicans recording. hit the big time. And Richie Valens was born Richard Valenzuela in Pacoima. He's uh, definitely one of them. So uh, you got to hear his, uh, his big hit song that everybody knows, La Bamba. Nope, I don't know this one.
seventeen when he died. I outlived him. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's but and but think about how much he achieved just before he was seventeen. Yeah, I mean, he looked that's, he looked twenty one though when he died. That's the thing. <laughs> All these guys back then, everybody just looked older than they uh, were. I don't know. I don't know how you, that happens. You, you the the popular version of that that people know is by uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you ever seen you've seen that movie? I have not seen the movie. Oh, I've seen. Okay, that it's good though, right? It's a very good movie. Yeah. And you know, so okay, so you if you've seen it, then so the opening scene, the, the weird little sort of dream sequence with the, the airplanes at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Well, basically, that comes out of something that actually happened in Eddie Valens's childhood, because that's why he had a fear of flying. Okay. Was because two airplanes collided in midair over his school when he was a kid. Wow. And the wreckage fell in the school, and some of his friends were injured, and some of them were killed. And a man learned to fly a plane. <laughs> Based on the, <laughs> based on the, the wreckage, wreckage. He, yeah, he, a constable, yeah, <laughs> the steering column and from the plane landed. Sully Sullenberger. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> By the way, let's find. Let's figure out our Sully Sullenberger nicknames. I would be uh, Franny Francis or Dottie Dotson. You would be Dottie Dotson, mm. and you would be Anthony Anthony Tony Anthony Tony. No, he'd be Anthony Anthony. Oh yeah, because that's. What the heck? It's not me. Is that in the back? I think so. Should I go look? There could be a problem. Yeah. All right. Just run out. Yo, hey, what the fuck? <laughs> Did you guys talk while I was going? Not really. I gave him the Wi-Fi password. No, uh, that's no fun for listeners. <laughs> no. Now everyone knows they could come here and just wait in the back and use our Wi-Fi for yeah. free. Watch Netflix in the alley. <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> And then honk their horn. Honk, honk their horn if they like something. <laughs> this Ozark's great. Beep, beep. So was there anybody out there? Uh, that was coming actually coming, coming from, from the front. front. Okay. Jackasses on Ventura. That's why I hate Los Angeles. Stop it. <laughs> uh, I hate Ventura. No one like so, there's like a weird like Stargate where no one knows how to fucking drive for like two miles. <laughs> <laughs> um, luckiest person on that plane, Big Bopper, because no one would be listening to Chantilly Lace if he didn't know nope, that nope. guy. That's, that's that's the only that's one that doesn't on, have a movie. Also, friend yep. of the friend of the show. <laughs> I wonder why Big Bob? <laughs> friend, friend of the show, Marshall Crenshaw plays Buddy Holly in La Bamba. Yeah, that's right. And Brian Setzer plays uh, Eddie Cochran, I believe. Oh, I think you're right. Hmm. Yeah, because he did Summertime Blues in the movie. All right, we're moving on. Yes, we are moving on to. I don't know what year this song came out, but this is the Platters. This says '55. I know, but I well, think. You, are you playing that song, or is it a different song? I'm playing, the song I'm playing is Only You. Oh, okay. And You Alone. I'll find the, uh, you find, uh, you play it, Kyle, and I'll find the uh, uh, July 1955. Okay. Only This, uh, this type of music was played around my household when I was growing up. My, this would be something my mom and dad would have played. Yeah. Yeah, yeah my they, mom would they grew up. This. They grew up in the, in the, they were teenagers in the 50s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You agree? <laughs> Pillow Mike? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I like that song. I like that sound. I like the platters a lot. Yeah, there's there's a good lot pick. Of, good pick, Pat. Thank you. <laughs> there's a lot of great doo-wop that came out of out of Los Angeles, and that's that's just one. And then you know you had the Penguins and the Hollywood Flames and the Coasters. I really didn't know that the Coasters had come had started out in Los Angeles until I was doing the research because I thought they were a New York band. They were eventually because they moved out there to uh, to continue their recording career. I have a bootleg from the Hollywood Bowl where they said from the stage that they were from here. <laughs> why is why is Stevie Nicks saying that? <laughs> uh, Lindsay and I moved here and we joined Fleetwood Mac. I consider Fleetwood Mac an LA band. No, no, it's not. It's not. But I consider them I, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. I consider them my older babies. No, weird, <laughs> weird. Could just slept with probably both of them. So strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, we're closing out the fifties with a West Anthony pick. Yes. Uh, I think, yeah, we'll go ahead and go. Now, now we're doing five in the 50s, six in the 60s, seven in the cent, right? It would be very easy to do that. This is very difficult to narrow down. And I have to be honest, when we get to, I think, two of the decades, I do have three songs. Okay. Which doesn't mean you can play four. No, no, no. It just no. means we'll both play three. I mean, you know, if, at a certain point, you know, if, if our picks overlap, then, you know, I'll just, right. I'll just take it and we'll move on. Okay. Because, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep everybody here all night. But, okay, so... We're, we're in for the long haul. Okay. We're, we're in. Well, I'll tell you Kyle, right do now. you have anything to do tonight? Just living? <laughs> JKL, just keep living. You got to drive this nutball home after this. Me and McConaughey? <laughs> got to drive him the whole way up to his, uh, to his bachelor shed. Jeez. Now, this one, frankly, I'm cheating. This is the only one I'm going to cheat on. This is, you can't. Well, I, already? You're breaking your own rules. The first decade, yeah. well, he's because, throwing down a cheat. Because this is, this is incredibly important. And not only is, it's one, not only is it one of the, the great, all-time great records of the rock and roll era, it was recorded here in Los Angeles. That's the thing. It's Big Mama Thornton recording the original version of Hound Dog. Everybody remembers the Elvis Presley version, but this is the version that came first. Yeah. Her only I, hit record. No, my only problem with that is I don't like that she stole the white man's music. <laughs> is any? Uh, do you, does that bother you guys? Let's talk about it. <laughs> uh, I like her version better than Elvis's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really good. That's was, a great version. That song more sense when a woman sings it. Yeah, it, it was written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, legendary songwriting and producing team. They came from uh, the East Coast, but they. You know, yeah, they moved over here in their youths and they met while like Stoller was going to L.A. City College and Lieber was going to Fairfax High School. Wow. And, they, and they started writing songs together here. And Big Mama Thornton did not come from Los Angeles, but I, I felt this was incredibly important because the song was recorded here at a place called Radio Recorders Annex uh, on, at 7000 Santa Monica Boulevard. It is a building that still stands today. <laughs> 
little bit of a cheat, but we will allow it. I don't know if uh, they're still using it for the same purpose, but the building is still there. All right. Santa Monica, a couple blocks west of uh, Highland, like across the street from the Shakey's. Now, what's cool is you get to end the 50s and you get to start the 60s. So you get to keep uh, jabbering. <laughs> back to back? Back Thanks. to back. Thanks. Because, again, he's playing three and I'm playing. Let me see how many I have from the 60s. I just have two, so yeah, that's... Really? It wouldn't have surprised me if you'd had three. I mean, it would have been... I could have chosen ten from each decade. Like, if you, if we wanted to make this a series, we could have done that. Yep. Well, I'm going to start off with uh, some surf rock, because, again, that's one of the things that, uh, that we did. We originated surf rock. Although, I mean, I know, like, one of the biggest surf rock uh, songs of all time uh, came from, like, Surfin' Bird. That came from a band, like, out of the Midwest. Oh, everyone knows about the bird. <laughs> But this band, of course, comes from Los Angeles. It's the Bel Airs. As far as I know, none of them actually, you know, lived in Bel Air. But uh, yeah, this is their song called Mr. Moto. Now that's from the scene where Butch cuts a guy's nuts off with a samurai sword in some Tarantino movie, <laughs> yep. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you ever done a surf rock episode? I thought you were going to say, have you ever done that with a samurai sword? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever cut someone's no, nuts was, off with no, that, a that samurai a, sword? That's a follow-up um, <laughs> No, but I can tell you we will be doing a Beach Boys episode with Kevin Hartbarger, one of our uh, Patreon supporters. Oh, okay. We'll be recording that next Saturday. Cool. I don't know when that will drop. That's a couple of ideas that I thought of. You, yeah. should, you should do a surf rock episode. And also I was thinking that uh, I don't think you've done an episode on girl groups. No, from no. From the 60s? No. That would be uh, something awesome. They're, I find that they're not good drivers or <laughs> as good as men. Seems. <laughs> <laughs> we, can call, we can call that episode hashtag them too. <laughs> no, they make music too. Get, uh, get Christy Stratton in here and, uh, and, and girl group oh, it up, Oh, Pat, how we, many songs are we going to play? We 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> look, I brought two songs. I brought one from Madonna and one from Cyndi Lauper. And then let's just go get sushi. Uh, Kevin Hartbarger sent me about 5,000 Beach Boy songs that I have to start listening to. That sounds about right. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. They have a ton of albums that I've never even seen, like the cover of. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? 2020? That what? Was, that was the thing that, you know, back then in the 60s, it was not unusual at all for bands to come out with like two albums a year. Yeah, it's nuts. And now it, it came back to totally bite some people on the ass, which we'll get to later on in mm. this episode. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the norm. Yeah. Well, all right, here we go. My two, uh, my two bands from the 60s, I'm going to tell you the first one. They're both named after animals. Okay. Uh, first one is, and uh, as we've been recording this uh, right now, I've been loading uh, CDs into my hard drive uh, that Wes brought along. He brought The Birds, the complete Columbia Albums collection. I only had the first four Birds albums, and uh, now I have them all. Thank you, Wes. But I'm going to play a song that I love uh, from 1967. And this is, um, what one do I have queued up there? 
so you want to be a rock okay, and roll so star. Okay, so you want to be a rock and roll star. That's cool. what I thought. Okay, let's hear it. Love this song. Great tune. Yeah. I think that it was written to make fun of the monkeys. Because uh, Craig Smith is going to love knowing that. Yeah. That, you know, some people in the LA rock scene, they were kind of hard on the monkeys. Mm-hmm. They felt it was like, you know, that, that was the nickname Prefab 4. And yeah. So but that was. Yeah. yeah. Was you know like, who's laughing all the way to the bank? Mickey Dolan's still out there doing it. Well, you know. Hey, Mickey. You know who tried out for the monkeys? Steven Stills. Yeah. So <laughs> shut up. All you people. <laughs> So. Uh, it wasn't good enough to be in the monkeys. So he had to go to that. This, you don't this, look good in a hat. <laughs> <laughs> had to go to that second tier, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, he made out okay. <laughs> you think? So. Uh, do those, those guys don't seem like they get along right now. Uh, no, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and or the Young. Generally, they don't get along. And then there's like, you know, punctuated with brief periods where they do. Okay. David Crosby is one of the crankiest people on Twitter. Oh, he I I love him on Twitter. Do you follow him? Yeah. It is funny though, right? Yeah. Like when people go, Have you ever have you ever heard a Ricky Martin song? No. You know, just be like <laughs> and I never would. <laughs> Jesus. You know, just I made that up. That isn't actually but it's very similar people to what he like, would say. People like tweet something like, Oh, hey, remember like this album's great, and he'll be like, Yep, but awful cover. One of the worst. <laughs> yep. Okay. So well now we know why they don't get along. Yeah. That was but you know, David Crosby, that's the thing. He's always been like that. That's why he got kicked out of the birds. <laughs> so he's just That's why he carries a gun. That's he, why he had a drug problem. He's just got a mouth on him, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite bird? I hate birds. <laughs> I'll only be in it if we spell it with a Y. Why they spell it with a Y? Just to be fun. No, it's sort of it's meant to be like the Beatles, because again, you know, the Beatles oh, okay. spelled it with, you know, an, I know, but beat, A beat, instead of B E E. But beat could also mean like beat of a drum. Well, it's by, yeah. it's they're by well, that's, us. That's the thing. That's why it worked so well with the Beatles. The birds, yeah, it's just kind of, it is kind yeah. of weird. That's nothing though. The turtles originally wanted to spell their name with a Y. Well, they can't make fun of the monkeys who spell it with a double E if they're spelling their name with a Y. Yeah, but... That's just what happens. Let's get them in here and hash it out. Come on in, guys. Yes. It's time for a classic rock summit. Mike, was that David Crosby out there honking his horn? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Probably. His, he, he got something at Lemon. There wasn't enough ice. I in hate it. red lights. <laughs> uh, let's hit it. Let's do it. Number three song of the 60s, courtesy of West Anthony. Okay. This is, I mean, it's a really, it's a great song, but... It also has like an incredible story behind it as far as the record itself. And this is uh, uh, an R&B record by Frank Wilson, who was a guy who was born in Houston. And then uh, he came out here, as so many do, to seek their fortune. And this is a song that is pretty much the only song that he recorded, except for the B-side. It's called Do I Love You? Uh, Indeed I Do. And you can start it at 15 seconds in. Do I love you? Indeed I do.
Indeed yeah. I do. This, this record was originally not released because <laughs> he went to work for Motown when Barry Gordy opened up an L.A. office mm-hmm. from, uh, for Motown for his operation. And Frank Wilson was hired to join the organization as a songwriter and a producer. And he did these things, but then he also thought, you know, maybe I'd like to try my hand at being an artist. And so he recorded this song, and then the flip side, they made 250 demo 45s. And then he changed his mind and said, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to be a performer. I'm, I'm happier behind the scenes. And so all he said with a broken arm. <laughs> <laughs> so all of these singles were destroyed, what? except for a very tiny, depending on what story you read, as few as two and as many as five copies survived. Why would they destroy this stuff? That's Barry Gordy. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Then but, we're going to go burn books. But one of these copies made its way all the way over to England where a DJ got a hold of it and started playing it because the thing that was happening in the late 60s, this, this was like 1965. So wait a minute, this artist got their start in England. <laughs> so you're cheating again. <laughs> no, it was recorded here in Los Angeles. All Stop right. it. No, but in the late 60s, they had this, this northern soul movement in the, in the northern part of England, like Manchester and, and Liverpool. There was this thing that was going on where everybody had this mania to go to the clubs and dance to old soul records. But they didn't want to dance to like the big names like Otis Redding or Aretha Franklin or something like that. They wanted like obscure regional American singles. <laughs> and the more obscure well, hell, was, I could the better. record one of those for them. And so somebody got a hold of this record and it became a huge hit over there. And then as a result, as a result of that, Barry Gordy, then they, they put it out as a, a regular single that everybody could buy. But those two, three, four singles out there, mm-hmm. they're still out there. They're commanding huge amounts of money. In 2009, somebody paid 25,000 pounds for a copy of this 45. That's a lot of weight. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of people. That's, the, that's <laughs> over $30,000 in the United States. And then... And here it is! No, no, it no this is a facsimile. This is... Uh, Jack White. Who has, Where did you pull that out of? You're like a ma- magician. <laughs> yeah, All of a sudden, yeah. he just it was in here. What's going on? <laughs> Jack White has. Record, is this your single? His, his record label, Third Man Records. He put he pressed two thousand co- duplicate copies of the original demo single for release on Record Store Day earlier this year. That's How much one did of this cost you? It's like fifteen dollars. Is it good? I love it. I think it's a great single. The what only, if what if I did what the DJs did in the fifties and I just go? I didn't like. Hey, just break smash. it. Well, Smash yeah, it. To, yeah, the only difference, I mean, they, they kept all the original markings and everything. The only difference between that one and the original is that it's on purple vinyl. Look at that. That's oh. sweet. Very nice. Quality but, uh, control. Yeah, it's just, it's such an insane story that uh, this incredibly rare single just became popular like halfway around the world. That and, is amazing. I love that uh, West is giving a history of every song and then I say, this one's got tambourine. <laughs> Um, More cowbell. <laughs> okay, I played the birds, and now I want to play a song by the Turtles. Groovy. Uh, I got a I got a two disc set of uh, the best of the Turtles because, to be honest, when it comes to the Turtles, I really only knew like three songs that everyone knows. Is that the one from Rhino Records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. The great and um, no, I don't think it is. I think Omnivore released released it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know they're uh, getting into re-releasing. I'll, 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 I'll look it up while the song's playing, but this song. Um, is called, no, no, it's not, I changed my playlist. Hold on. Kyle, you know, what's it's it called? called? Let Me Be. Let Me Be. Okay, just play it and I'll find out some information. Mm-hmm. 
don't mistake me or try to make me the shadow of anybody else. I ain't the him or her you think I am. I'm just trying hard to be myself. It's uh, it's on Manifesto Records. It's an import, and it's called it's called the Turtles. All the singles, and oh, wow. it's uh, it's fantastic. It's got um, boy, let me see, twenty four songs on disc one, and it's got forty eight songs. Okay, and uh, you know, I put this thing on, and I was I was very impressed because again, I only knew knew like happy together. Yeah, the songs that everyone knows, the couple that everyone. It ain't me, babe. Right, and I was like, wow, these guys are really great. Yeah, so. Yeah, they came from uh, Westchester. They were originally a surf rock band themselves, and then they started singing, and that ruined everything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's a song they did. They did a theme song for a movie from 1967 called uh, "A Guide for the Married Man." Um, oh yeah, I got that. That's in here. Yeah, and it's it's a great song from the Happy Together album. And by the way, the music for that song was written by the the film's composer John Williams. Mm, not <laughs> quite sure. Is but, he from L.A.? <laughs> He certainly made it uh, made his mark in L.A. Oh yeah, that that movie is a horror show. I'm sure in 1967 it's like you know real good feel good comedy. Uh-huh. But basically the whole concept of the do movie. Do you own that movie? No. Okay. No, but I've because you I, own a lot of movies. How many movies do you think you own? I don't know, a few thousand. <laughs> a few thousand, yeah. But uh, yeah, M- Walter Matthau stars in the movie. He's a guy who's like happily married. He's got like a super awesome wife who's like you know she's beautiful and she does everything for him. And does all he play a stuff. curmudgeon in that movie? Uh, yeah, more or less. All right, but yet, yet, despite the fact of having such a great wife, he's thinking about cheating on her. And Robert Morse plays his best friend. Who, Wait, where's Where's the world in which Walter Matthau gets uh, to go out and just get all kinds of different babes? Well, no, but that's not what happens. Oh, okay. But that's the, but that's the thing. He's just thinking about her, and his best friend, played by Robert Morse, basically just sort of walks him through the do's and don'ts of how to cheat on your wife. And so it's a series of vignettes. <laughs> With, you know, cameos by, you know, famous actors demonstrating how to cheat on your wife and how to not cheat on your wife. I'm, I'm telling you, it's one of the most misogynistic things you're ever going to see in your life. And Gene Kelly directed it. I <laughs> need to see that now because that sounds ridiculous. You kind of do. But, I heard uh, the Weinstein Company might re-release that. <laughs> Is there any truth to that? If you see it, you're just, you're just not going to feel good about it afterwards. No, that sounds unbelievable. Yeah. Let's, I'll see if they have that at CD Trader for three bucks. It's, oh, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> Kyle, you want to see that? Sure, I'll watch it. We watched, uh, we watched the first Phantasm, well, I fell asleep, but we watched the first Phantasm movie the other night. Did you ever see that? Yeah, I have. That's the one where the, the ball flies around and yeah, drills yeah. in people's mm-hmm. heads and stuff, right? I fell asleep for those parts. Hmm. I was awake for yes. all the dull stuff. Wow. Yeah. Which was a lot of it. There's a lot of dull stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I've, uh, I've we, never seen any of the other Phantasm. How many are there? There's five. five. We have them Total? at the house. Yeah. Oh, wow. Garen lent them to us, Garen Cockrell, and we, uh, we're going to watch those. Yep. Well, uh, bon appetit. We have to watch these when my wife is not around because I feel like she, uh, she feels like I'm wasting time, and I am. 
Well, I mean, not every movie can be educational. Cobra? No. What'd you say? Why are you watching Cobra? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what she does. She'll come in and she'll be, like, "What's this movie?" And we'll tell her. She goes, "Why are you watching that?" Which is, "Why aren't what, you watching?" <laughs> that's okay. That's that's what I'm going to say next time. Why aren't you watching it? Sit down and dig this. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, your turn. Let's close out the 60s. Okay, my last track is from one of my all-time favorite bands. Monkeys. Band, <clears throat> it's a band called Love. That, uh, again, uh, And you, were, you gave me, you gifted me a deluxe uh, two-CD edition of the... Um, their third album. Yeah, the one that has Alone Again on. Yeah, Forever Changes. Yes. And, uh, Classic album. And uh, I'm going to play a song from that, because... They're just, uh, they, they really are amazing. One of the first uh, racially integrated bands, because mm-hmm. the, the lead singer and principal songwriter, Arthur Lee, and the lead guitarist, Johnny Eccles, they're both black. Everybody else in the band was white. And uh, they really, they could have been so huge. And what happened? Arthur Lee didn't like to play by anybody's rules. He didn't like to tour. He didn't like to interview. He just, and he liked to just stay in Los Angeles and play in this area. And, you know, if they had, if they had gone out, yeah. if they had done some press, if they had done some live dates somewhere else in the country, mm-hmm. they could have been huge. And it just, just didn't happen. Just, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. It's a real shame. And, you know, to this day, so many people have never heard of love. And I think they're just brilliant. The oh, first four albums they did on, on Electra are amazing. So this is, this is a song from the third album, uh, Forever Changes, uh, this is one of my favorites. It's called The Daily Planet, and you can start it from 47 seconds in. Oh, this is about Clark Kent. First rock and roll band signed to Electra Records. You know, they started out as a folk label, mm-hmm. and the head of the label, Jack Holtzman. So even before the Doors, they were signed to Electra. The Doors were discovered by Arthur Lee. Wait a minute, hold he's, the phone. He is the one who convinced Jack Holtzman to sign them. Wow. That was the thing because you know he he thought that they were great, and you know, but that was the thing before then. Out there on the Sunset Strip, love was bigger than the Doors. But then, then he saw that, and he. Arthur Lee went to Jack Holzman and said, hey, there's these guys playing at the Whiskey called The Doors. They're, they're really good. You ought to see them. Jack Holzman went to see him, and he wasn't into it. He came back and said, I don't know, Arthur. I'm not really into it. And Arthur said, go back and look at him again, stupid. Three times, three times Jack Holzman went to see The Doors before he finally said, okay, yeah, I'm going to sign these guys. It usually and takes in, people <laughs> three times until they like The Doors. In fairness, the first two times, Jim, Jim, Jim Morrison was drunk. Drunk. He passed out. He wasn't even there. And I don't like to do interviews. This guy physically can't. Yeah. But that's the thing. Those guys, you know, they, they toured everywhere. They appeared on television. They did all the things that you're supposed to do. They went on Ed Sullivan and they, they did all, everything. And they completely yep. eclipsed love. 
Now, everybody remembers The Doors. Nobody remembers Love, and it's a damn shame. Now, see, that's the kind of biopic I like to see is about a band like Love, where you're like, what the hell? How do we not know about these people? Yeah, I would love to see that. That's not going to sell. No one knows these people. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, yeah, that's the thing. You, you would have a hard time getting that movie made because nobody knows who they are. Okay, I've stolen the uh, the the wire from Kyle, and I put it into my computer because I need to play you two things now since you just... Uh, played that song and uh, we talked about this band a bit ago so I'm going to play first I'm going to play this and you'll, here we go go ahead Kyle this is UFO something else It's a great version. Yeah, that's really good. Now I'm going to play UFO from 1977 doing a cover of a song by Love. Oh, okay. Here we go. Yeah, UFO's great. That's, I love it so much. The, 1977. The only other cover I know of, of that song is by uh, the UK punk band, The Damned. They did a cover of it in 1986. And honestly, I, I, that's still my favorite cover of that song. And I think, uh, I think uh, Sid and Susie, Susanna Hobbs and Matthew Sweet do a cover of it also. Yeah, they did a cover of it. Yeah, but, that's, uh, and that song, Arthur Lee didn't write that song. Brian McLean, uh, another member of the band, he wrote that song, Alone Again or... And he was the half-brother of Maria McKee of Lone Justice. It just never stops with this guy. It's always one-upsmanship with the knowledge. <laughs> oh, you you want to hear something real wacky nope. about Maria nope. McKee? No. Nope. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay, so there was... Lone Justice is on my list today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so go ahead. Okay, well then, you know what? We'll save it for then. Okay, good. Okay. Okay, well... Because this uh, is going to be fun. That's done. We'll do part two in a couple of weeks. No. Okay, so we closed out the 60s. Yep. And now we're, you're going to open up the 70s for us. Yes. And this is, I mean, you think that, you know, love not making it is bad. This is one of the great rock and roll tragedies of all time. The guy named... I Emmett, will be the judge of that. This guy named Emmett Rhodes. And uh, while I'm telling the story, go ahead and set it up. I, you, I want you to start at like 34 seconds. Uh, Emmett Rhodes was, I mean, as a teenager, he was playing in a band called the Palace Guard at a really popular Hollywood club called the Hullabaloo. And then... They, uh, then he started up another band called The Merry Go Round, and they, they were very popular here. They had a, a regional hit single called Live. You have the, the first Bangles album? Yes. Oh, okay, the second track, Live, mm -hmm. that's their song. All right. Emmett Rhodes wrote that song, okay? And then he started off on a solo career around uh, the turn of the 70s. Here is where everything goes straight to hell, okay? He signed a deal with ABC Dunhill Records that called for two albums a year, for three years. 
Wow. And again, see, now remember, like I said, back in the 60s, it wasn't a big deal. Bands were recording two albums yeah. a year all the time. The Beatles did two albums a year in like 64 and 65. Of course, the difference is the Beatles had four musicians. The Beatles had three songwriters. Mm -hmm. The Beatles had three singers and Ringo. The Beatles had a great record producer and a whole staff of guys at the studio at Abbey Road. Okay. Emmett Rhodes, he took some record advance money. He bought some recording equipment. He built his own makeshift homemade recording studio in his parents' garage in Hawthorne. He wrote all the songs. He recorded all the songs. He played all the instruments. He did all the singing. Needless to say, this was a time-consuming process. Yeah. He fell behind on his contractual obligations almost immediately. It took nearly a year to get out his first album. It took a little bit longer to get out his second. His record company sued him for breach of contract. Oh my God. Which is kind of ridiculous because he wouldn't have even had any money to pay them because they were withholding his royalties. Okay? <laughs> so after three albums, eventually they just called it quits and they parted ways. And he became a staff record producer at Elektra for the rest of the 70s. And then he just completely dropped off the radar. Okay? 2016, he finally comes back with his first album after 43 years. Took him a long time to record that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's called Rainbow Ends. Amy Mann plays on it. John Bryan plays on it. How is it? Susanna Hoffs plays on it. It's a very good album. But that's the thing. You see the caliber of people who are fans of Emmett Fan, Rose yeah. who loved him and were willing to just come out and help him record this album. Because it just, he had been gone for so long and his career could have gone on so much longer and been so much better. So many people compared his voice to Paul McCartney. You know, and everybody loved his songwriting. And you can be the judge right now. You can listen to this song. It's called You Should Be Ashamed. You told me lies and I believe you made a Very nice. I like that a lot. So awesome. And yeah, they, they put out all of his uh, solo albums together. I think uh, Universal did on their, their Hippo imprint. And you can get them all like on three CDs, which is a, this is a really good deal. Yeah, that is a good... That's a bargain. Carl, that's a bargain. <laughs> bargain. Yeah, and you know, it's funny you mentioned Omnivore Records because that's, that's the label that his new album came out on. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, they're they're a good label. I have a nice relationship with those people. Oh, really? Yeah, they get me. Can uh, you get me all the free stuff? Um, maybe <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to go over there and check out their website and get some uh, free stuff to give away here. Oh man, you should because they they have they've put out so many great things. They're yeah. starting to put out a reissue of uh, the albums by the Posies. Yeah, they just released uh, the first two albums I think by uh, Soul Asylum. Oh, okay. And they always load it up with bonus tracks and yeah. stuff. So and they'd finished like putting out like a ton of stuff by Big Star. Yeah, yep. They yeah. did they did those up uh, right. They did those up right, Kyle. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh my first song of the seventies is by a, a gentleman that I call the uh the Southern California Bruce Springsteen. That's what I call this guy. Jackson Brown. 
This song uh, went all the way up to number 85. It's from his second album. Features Glenn Fry on harmony vocals. Features a guy on an acoustic piano called Rockaday Johnny. Great. That's Elton John. That's an alias he oh, used. How about that? How what, funny what is he? What hats he wear when he does that? I don't know. I have no idea. But this song is called Redneck Friend. Should have cued it so we could get to the uh, chorus, but um, this is, uh, I love that song. It's also got Jim Keltner's on drums. Oh, man. Uh, David Lindley is on slide guitar. Yeah. Jackson Brown is a, he's definitely a dream guest. I would love to uh, to sit down and talk with him. That would be awesome. you got to hide all the plastic bottles, though. He hate, like, just, it's his biggest pet peeve. Wow, okay. Like, you better have uh, some glasses and a pitcher of water. Have you ever seen him play? Oh, many, not until, um, I moved here. I didn't see him like, I don't know in, in what would be the heyday, Yeah. but I've seen him like six times out here. I was in the third row at the Orpheum. Wow. It was, okay. it was amazing. I mean, he's great. He's still great. Yeah. And he does, uh, he does some solo shows. I've seen him do solo shows. It's just him and people like to yell out and he does not like that at yeah, all. I can imagine. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, some guys, they're, they're not into the yelling. Like, That's, I love a song. What if you yelled his name and threw a bottle at him? <laughs> I don't think he would like it. I don't, I mean, I'll try, but I don't think he'd like it. He, I love a song of his called Sky Blue and Black. So I'm, I'm seeing, it was out at the uh, Thousand Oaks Civic Center, and he sits down at the piano and he starts to play the opening chords of Sky Blue and Black, and I'm, I'm like, oh, yes, Sky Blue and Black. And the guy fucking yells out, Sky Blue and Black! And he, he, stopped playing it and picked up a guitar and played something different. I was like, motherfucker, shut the fuck up. It's like so annoying. Some people, yeah. And and he tells them too. I like, he'll say, he'll go, yeah, that's not, it's not, that doesn't, that's not what we're doing tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Some guys are real prickly like that. Joe Joe Jackson is another one like that. Yeah. He, he, you know, he, he played a quiet song. First time I saw him at the Universal Amphitheater Mm -hmm. back in 86 and he played a quiet song and there's like a brief bit where the, the music almost comes to a complete stop. And some people just started screaming and yelling because that's what you do whenever there's a silence in the concert. Sure, yeah, it makes some noise. He, he finished the song and then he just totally took the audience to task. <laughs> so <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's what he does. Now, I, what, I saw Jackson Brown open for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That's a horrible double bill <laughs> in two thousand two. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was weird. I mean, when we got there, we got in Did there. Did Jackson play hits? Because sometimes he doesn't. Well, that's what was funny. Is that so you better we, know the catalog. He. When we came into the to the forum, because mm-hmm. it was at the forum, we came in and they were still on stage doing the sound check because Tom Petty ran late with their sound okay. check. 
So again, so we have because we got there early, we got to hear part of Jackson Brown's sound check, and that's when he did Doctor My Eyes, oh. which he did not do when he came back out to do his actual set. <laughs> <laughs> so so we got that. And that was really good. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, I, I he's great, and he's uh he's getting a, how old is Jackson Brown right now? He's probably close to seventy. Yeah, he's got if be. not more than that. He's got to be like a hundred. <laughs> Let me find out. I want to find out. You can you can cue up your song. I'll find out Jackson Brown's age. Okay. 69. Yeah, what does that have to do with anything? Well, how be, old is Jackson Brown? He'll be 70 on October 9th. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah, 70 right around the corner. Okay. Still rocking that same haircut. He just, look, this is, this is the haircut that looks best on me, and unless my hair all falls out, this is what it's going to be forever. Go with what works. Yeah. I'm not going to argue about yeah. it. Okay. Well, okay, so my next song is uh, by a, an L.A. power pop band called The Nerves, and... All three of these guys in this band, there was only three guys. All, all three of them, Peter Case, Paul Collins, and Jack Lee, they all wrote songs. And they only ever put out one EP in like 1976 before they, they called it a day. But then, see, Peter Case went on to form the Plimsolls, who had a big hit in the 80s with A Million Miles Away. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul Collins went on to form a band called The Beat, which is why the English beat had to change their name to the English beat when they came over here. In the UK, they're just called the beat. I like the English. I like the sound of the English beat better than just a band called the beat. Yeah. Well, you'll have to blame Paul Collins took, for that. They took the beat. Can we be the Beatles? <laughs> We're the English Beatles. <laughs> and the thing is, okay. So, and Jack Lee wrote the song that the nerve, the nerves did this song first. They recorded it on their EP hanging on the telephone. Remember that song? Yeah. By, yeah. By Blondie. by Blondie. Yeah. That's, that's the version we all know, but that came out of the nerves. It's a great that's, tune. That, that's, that's the thing. So, but this is a different song. It's one of my favorites of theirs. It's called when you find out. That's nice. I like it. Yeah. They only ever did the one EP. They, eventually, they found some some old demos and stuff like that, and they put it all together in a CD, and you mm -hmm. get all of that stuff. But uh, yeah, and then, like I said, you know, you got the Plimsolls out of this band. You got the Beat out of this band. The Beat, I don't think too many people remember as well as yeah. the Plimsolls, but, but they had a song in uh, Caddyshack. So I can't remember the name of it, but they had a song in Caddyshack. I'm sure Kyle can find it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, did that song chart? Because uh, the Jackson Brown song uh, went up to number 85. Ooh. <laughs> no, nothing the nerves did ever charted. <laughs> Eddie Cochran, also on the Caddyshack soundtrack. What? Oh, well. Also Journey and Kenny there, Loggins. There she goes. Oh, okay. the beat song. All right. Is that a good soundtrack? It has four Kenny Loggins songs. Yeah, so it, Kenny so Loggins no. is all over that one. Yeah. Then a Journey song. Any way you want it. Then there she hey, goes. Hey, everybody, let's get laid. Then two Johnny Mandel songs, then a Hilly Michaels, and then close out with another Johnny Mandel. Well, okay. Well, I don't know who Johnny Mandel is. He wrote the score for the of movie. Of course you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
All right, let's go with a band who, I think this band is often a punchline, but I think they're great. I love them. They have a they have a box set coming out in November called All In. It was already released on vinyl. Now just the CD version is coming out. It's uh, Toto. Oh, okay. And all the albums are remastered and supervised by the band. Great. So I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, Toto's All In in November. Uh, this song is from their debut album, and this is I'll Supply the Love. I could have easily played Hold the Line. Yeah, that's the one that I put on my list. But, I love uh, that song. Yeah, but uh, I, you know, when you go to see Toto in concert, there's one guitarist on stage. It's Steve Lukather, and he is fantastic. Like, it is unbelievable what a great guitarist he is. They only have one guitarist? They yes, he's, he, that's it. Wow. Like, there's not like a side musician. It's him. Yeah. It's him. Jeez. So great. Yeah. Luke. That's really cool. I call him Luke. He's my friend. He's not really. <laughs> when he did the show, I go, we're friends now, right? I didn't call you Luke. He's like, ah, man, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that same night that uh, Siegel and I met uh, Jeff Lynn, I say meet briefly, hello. Uh, Steve Lukather was there with um, with Steve Porcaro. I can't say the... the Porcaro? Porcaro. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he, he looked at me and he recognized me and then he was like, Hey man, and I go, yeah, Pat from Rock Solid. He's like, oh yeah, that's right. So that was cool because he could have easily ignored me. Well, that's sure. my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, what? I thought we were going to drive together. <laughs> uh, your turn. You're up. And, okay. And, and again, I have a third one. So Right. Yeah, this is my last 70s track. Yeah, and I'll close out this decade, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and this is by uh, one of the great cult bands of all time, uh, in my estimation, Sparks. And uh, you can get This ready. would be uh, April Richardson's jam. Okay. And you can get ready. You can get ready to play this one at forty-five seconds. Uh, yeah, Sparks. They they started out in uh, Pacific Palisades in the late sixties. Their original name was uh, Half Nelson, and their debut album as Half Nelson was produced by Todd Rundgren. Wow! And then they renamed it Sparks and they re-released it. But uh, do you have yeah. that album, the uh, Todd Rundgren album? I have like a ton of their albums, but almost none of them in physical media. <laughs> okay. So, but uh, yeah, they. Uh, and the funny thing is, if you've ever seen the big TNT show, you can see the Mayo brothers, Ron and Russell Mayo. They're the guys who founded the band. You can see them in the audience during one scene in the movie. Of which movie? The big TNT show. It's, do you ever see the Tammy show? I do know what that is. Okay. Well, I mean, the Tammy show, everybody should see it. It's one of the great rock and roll movies of all time. James Brown? Yeah, James Brown is in it. The Beach Boys are in it. Uh, Jeez, uh, Marvin Gaye is in it, the Rolling Stones, mm -hmm. and it's just uh, it's just a ton of great uh, acts. And then they followed it up the year the, the later with another movie called The Big TNT Show, and the birds. Now were I've in seen that one. the Big TIT Show. Oh, is that, that something different? Yeah, very very different. Yeah, <laughs> okay, but I have seen that. <laughs> but uh, and you can you can get them both on on uh, Blu-ray or DVD. I okay, would, I would highly recommend. It. I would love to see. And to, the to guy, the, the brothers are in the audience checking yeah, it out. You can see them in, in the audience. It's really cool. But um. 
Yeah, they so they started out here and then they were invited to go to to the UK mm-hmm. and they spent like three years out there. That's where they really developed a big following. There's to this day, they're still more popular in other countries in Europe than they are here in the United they're States. They're known as the English Sparks over there. <laughs> but uh, and after three years, eventually they thought, well, it's getting kind of stale around here. They came back. They came back to Los Angeles and they recorded the, this album uh, called Introducing Sparks. And so that's where this song comes from. It's called Goofing Off. What Hold happened? Protected file. No, no, no. Did I, I say 45 seconds? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, the world has started spinning Cause the weekend is beginning So grab anything that moves and bring some cash Yeah, I'm looking at your body And I think I need your body Yeah, the whole entire body Bring it here And we've got two days to try to forget A week of crap and crud And we've got two days, so get over here We're gonna goof off Goofing off, goofing off I can do it, do it, do it perfectly Goofing off, goofing off It's the only thing I'd gladly do for free I'm going Goofing off Now, Sparks is not my thing Really? Every time someone has played Sparks on here, it's just, it's not a, like, you know, you know, sometimes I'll go, oh man, I got to hear that band and then I got to buy everything. That just doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. What about you, Kyle? Um, I like the Franz Ferdinand Sparks mm-hmm. songs that have been played on okay. here. Yeah. I just don't, this is not my, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. I can't, <laughs> it just doesn't, I don't like the vocals. I don't like the lyrics. I don't like the music. It just doesn't. They're definitely not for everybody. No. <laughs> It's <laughs> it wavers into that circusy a little bit. That's yeah, did. yeah. I just, yeah, and there's there's a glam rock element to them certainly in in their their earlier stuff and then their later stuff. Man, they they really went way out doing some more. That's not way out. Experimental things. Oh boy. <laughs> and they they appeared in a in a seventies disaster movie as well. One of the lesser known Is it ones. Disaster. So. No, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> oh, I saw Roller Coaster okay, in yeah. Sense Around. Yep, that was one of the last it movies was in that was Sense done in Around. Sense Around. What's that? Sense That's Around like, was an audio uh, system that was created by Universal Studios. Yeah, strap a wire to your nuts. <laughs> it was originally uh, employed for the debut in the film Earthquake. And what it is is they put these enormous bass speakers installed in the theater, and then they just turn them up, crank them up. So then when the earthquake happens, then it's like the, the theater is supposed to start feeling like it's rumbling. Uh yeah, I threw up into an empty popcorn bucket as a kid as a result of Sense Around. Could so. we? Could you find the the roller coaster trailer on YouTube, possibly, and let's hear that? Because it sounds like a horrible, horrible idea for a movie. Now, I can't believe that I went and saw it. Yeah, roller coaster is actually not a very good candidate for Sense Around because there's not a whole lot of scenes on actual roller coasters. Mostly, it's just people who are looking for a mad bomber who is going to blow up a roller coaster. And guess who redid this movie? <laughs> what do you mean someone redid it? No, no I, I mean, mean they, like they uh, it remastered out. it. Uh, oh, <laughs> Shout Factory. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they, they got a total licensing deal with Universal. Did they do it in Sense Around? I don't know. We'll find out. I don't think they can, really. Get ready for the thrill of your life. <laughs> now, Universal plunges you into a mystery at the speed of sound. It's not a roller coaster. 
It looks like Lake Roller Coaster. Yeah, it's terrible. It's just all like. It's literally just a roller coaster going around. Yeah. That's the trailer. Oh, and then it broke off and then they cut away. An accident in California. Plus two accidents in one week. <laughs> Who's putting the lid on this? The police? A recording from a stranger. Get on the ride, Harry. A drop in Virginia. Harry? Yeah. Remember what happens when you don't follow directions. And a man in the middle on the ride of his life. <laughs> They're over the lift. It's too late to stop them now. Let's go. They have like a command center. Yep. At the amusement park. And it's not Disney World, it's just an amusement park. Yeah. Yeah, the climactic scene is at Magic Mountain. That's where they shot it. It's Oh, there's Sparks yeah. does the music. The the whole problem with the movie is that there's really only you know, so much suspense you can generate from a two-minute thrill ride. Yeah, you have to find out if Garen has that. Oh, he probably does. We have yeah. to watch that. <laughs> but Sparks appears in the film as themselves. They're, they're playing a concert at the amusement park. Pilar's going to be out of town in October for like four days, and we're going to watch just... Nonstop shit movies. Oh, garbage. So let me come over and just, watch at least one of them. The, the, yeah. you, know, you might get the nod. You might get the nod, depending on how the rest of the night goes. You might get the roller coaster call. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Are you ready for I the ride of your life? Here, wow. I just, here I just what happens when I'm ready you don't for the ride of directions. Here I just got a text from her. That movie cannot be longer than 90 minutes. It can't be. Look it up. It, I'm saying that could clock in at 82 minutes and be fine. I, I think it is longer than 90 minutes. Oh, no. I'm willing to bet that it's close to two hours. Really? It's George Siegel <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Timothy Bottoms is the mad bomber. <laughs> hey, hey, spoiler alert. 119 minutes. There you go. Wow. Just a shade under two hours. Just a shade under two hours. There's no way that's entertaining for two hours. The budget was $9 million. And how much did it make? Four. Doesn't say. <laughs> Four. I just got a text from Murray. I know I owe you a call, but any interest in trying to get free bad company tickets? Wow. That's not any interest in going to see bad company. This is, do you have any interest in getting free tickets? I should say yes. I'll, I'll take Siegel. <laughs> All right. Let's, I'm going to close out my part of the 70s with a power pop band that I love. Uh, the surviving members have been on the show together. And the band is called The Knack. This is one of the best debut albums of all time, in my opinion. Get The Knack. Definitely. And this is the track that kicks it off. This is Let Me Out. Love it. I wish they'd been around longer. It's just a shame that there was such a tremendous backlash. And for really, for what? For no good reason, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they're so, they're so good. Where's, where's Livermore, California? That's up north. I bet that's really far up north. Is that really far up north? I don't think it's that far. I think it's like right around close to the Bay Area, maybe. Well, that, 
if that's where that's where they're that's where bad companies coming in California. No kidding. So Murray obviously saw that they were coming to Livermore and didn't bother to look up where Livermore is. Road trip. I'm not driving all the way up to the Bay Area to see bad company unless they're opening for Paul McCartney. <laughs> Um, you'll be happy to know that the producers of Roller Coaster feel that it feel that it failed because of the popularity of Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. which came out like a month prior. Of course, or like of two course. weeks prior. That's that's what did it. Of yes. course, Kyle. Star Wars destroyed everything in its wake. Sure, of course. It also killed Sense Around apparently. Now, Sense Around lasted for one more movie. And then they put it away. The Battlestar Galactica, yeah. probably which, because which, of Star Wars. Yeah, which in itself was basically just, you know, they just took the TV pilot and they just threw it onto screens and, and you know, slathered it on some sense around. It didn't help. Not at all. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, Livermore is uh, four hours and 51 minutes away. So, yeah, I'll get some free tickets and we'll just that drive up there. That seems worth it. That's why you've got to give Elon Musk the, the resources to build that tube. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna tube our way up there. We'll be there lay in down forty-two in a, minutes. Tube it. Lay down in a luge, like in the Running Man, and just yep. shoot on up there. And yep, Elon, take me away. <laughs> let's uh, let's break into the '80s right now. I also have three songs from the '80s. That's all cool. I'm saying. I got okay, three. well, I'm starting out with a uh, punk classic by uh, Suicidal Tendencies, and this one I want you to start at a minute and twenty seconds. Uh, this is one of the defining songs of my youth. I. Just, I fell in love with this song. I, you know, I, I was attracted to the name immediately because I myself was suicidal as a teenager. And uh, the song just so perfectly encapsulated the, the rage and despair that I felt as a young teenage me. And uh, you can find this uh, song on the soundtrack of uh, Repo Man, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's also one of the great Los Angeles movies. Mm -hmm. And the video, you can, you'll see two great cult figures in the video for this song. Uh, Jack Nance and Mary Warrenoff. Jack Nance was the star of Eraserhead. Oh, okay. And Mary Warrenoff played the evil principal in Rock and Roll High School. You ever see that movie? Yes. Yeah. Tons of fun. Both of those movies. Well, I mean, probably Rock and Roll High School is more fun. Yeah. Eraserhead is more. Uh, uh. I don't <laughs> even know what Eraserhead's about. I, I, I just know I can see the movie poster in my head right now. But it's about ninety minutes. Well, shorter than roller coaster, so I guess we'll watch that. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, I'm telling. This is just uh, I. I will never ever get tired of this song, Let's which is it. probably not good for me. But it's called Institutionalized. <clears throat> I was in my room and I was just like staring at the wall, thinking about everything. Then again, yeah, I was thinking about nothing. And then my mom came in, and I didn't even know that she was there. She called my name, and I didn't hear her. Then she started screaming, "Mike, Mike!" And I go, "What? What's the matter?" What's the matter with you? I go, there's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, no, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know. Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, no, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, no, you're not thinking. You're on drugs. No, no, people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. This guy loves soda. Yep. That's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, that was, that was the overarching message of the, of the song. Wes, as, as Just, a teenager, what, what would cause you to uh, feel suicidal? Uh, I just had a really miserable childhood. My family life was uh, awful. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, abuse, uh, physical and emotional and so on and so forth. 
So, yeah, uh, really didn't want to live. You, you, got, you, you came through the tunnel, though? You're on the bright side of life now? Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, I, I, still have, I still have my days. But uh, overall, you know, I'm just uh, eking out uh, a living like everybody else. Does the, uh, and I'm being serious about this, does, because uh, I've, been, I've been to your apartment, uh, stayed the night a couple of times, no, been to your apartment, <laughs> uh, you surround yourself with, um, with, with books and movies and music and things you love, and do these things bring you uh, happiness to, to uh, what do I want to say? You know what I mean. Art is more or less the, the only joy that I derive in life. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any family. I don't, I mean, I have a family, but I keep them very far away from me at all times and everywhere. Uh, Well, it sounds like you should. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't really have too many friends. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that I know for the most part, you know, you know, I don't, nobody's ever thinking, Hey, I wonder what West is up to. That's not happening. Uh, the people that I work with, they don't, they don't really know me and I don't really know them. Uh, the thing that really keeps me going really is, is art. I'm always looking for around the corner for the next great movie or TV mm-hmm. show, the next great album, the next great book. Those things can, I mean, you know, it's really ideally that's not what you should, you know, confine yourself to. Something to look forward to in but life, though. Those things can keep you going when you don't have anything else. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get other things. That's why I'm here. <laughs> you know. Well, and, and let me ask you one more question without turning into a, uh, Dr. Phil, uh, let me tell you something. You got to get yourself out of that situation. That's my Dr. Phil. Um, now, why don't you know the people that you work with? Why don't, do you not, do you not try? You know, some, you know, some people, oh, yeah. I know I've met Rebecca, Yep. but, uh, why don't you try to expand your, uh, cause I mean, when you meet, when you meet girlfriends or boyfriends or friends, it's usually at school. And then once you're done with school, you usually meet people in the workplace. Sure. And do you just not make an effort? Well, no, probably not, because I, I, I can be really shy around people that I don't know. But then also, that's, I, mean, I don't. I, that's very hard to believe. No, oh, okay. Well, it, it is true. Okay, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, you know, here this is kind of more or less sort of a performance situation. Okay, true. And and I'm bringing something to the table that I have a familiarity with. Are so, you kind of? <laughs> and so so I'm I'm able to open my mouth and say something. Mm-hmm. But in a social setting. It's, oh, it's so hard. The few times that I've been invited to parties, basically, it all more or less follows the same template. I show up alone. I get something to drink. I stand in the corner for about 45 minutes to an hour. Nobody talks to me. I don't talk to anybody. And then I go home feeling four times as alone as I did when I showed up. Yeah, that is not a good party situation. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just very hard to, to break out of that. And also, but at, and as far as work goes, mm-hmm. I mean, the way things are, are changing now, it's... I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to ask out a coworker today. Yeah. It's, it's, I really don't think it's a good idea, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and not just for me, but also for, for your coworkers. You right. Know, the women don't, you know, we now know, well, some of us learned harder ways than others, that women aren't necessarily into having guys hit on them while they're working. Well, you know, there's hitting on a woman and then there's actually having a conversation and finding that you have stuff in common and then oh, yeah. saying, Hey, would you like to have lunch? Yeah. But you know, in, in this, in this particular, in this current climate, it, it just really feels a lot trickier than, than mm-hmm. it used to. Yeah. Well, don't walk in so. the ba- break room and say hubba hubba. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's a mistake. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. This has been, uh, this has been, this has been, uh, uh, psychiatrist talk. 
That's not what it is. One um, star. <laughs> I didn't come here to listen to sad stories. <laughs> I don't care what West is doing. Play a song. They haven't even gotten out of the 80s yet. <laughs> they haven't gotten into the 80s yet. Or did we? Yeah, we did. That was my first song. That's right. That's what. Said, that's now what, it's your turn. All right. This is from. Uh, this is a song by uh, by. I've had I've had three of the members of this band on the show all separately. We're talking about the Bangles, oh. Vicky Peterson, Debbie Peterson, Susanna Hoffs. I would have uh, I would have Mickey Steele on, but she's retired, and we think she's in the Northern California, so that's not going to happen. Oh, maybe you can go record up there with Murray when you guys oh, go yeah, see. Oh yeah, we go see Bad Company. I'll swing by her house. Uh, so this is from their uh, 1982 EP called Bangles. And this is called Want You. I picked that one because um, I like to feature the songs that Susanna Hoffs doesn't sing on because so many people, I feel like um, casual Bangles fans, think that Susanna Hoffs is the lead vocalist. It's one of the things that broke up the band yeah, initially. and she is one of the lead vocalists. But that yeah. song was written and sung by Vicki Peterson. My favorite Bangle. Yeah, she's, she's so nice. I'm sure she so, is. So I still really had such a good time the day that Action Skulls were in here. Oh man, I, uh, wish, I wish I'd been in there. Bill Moomy and 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 Vicky and and uh, it's just great. I still have that original Bangles EP. Yeah, they just uh, the Omnivore re- released it on CD with a bunch of bonus tracks. Yeah, yeah. they put it out on vinyl too for Record Store oh, Day. Oh, cool! And I I have that. <laughs> uh, you go to Record Store Day all the time? Uh, no, only once a year because that's <laughs> when it is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought sometimes they have like some offshoot record store days, like well, bonus days. Actually, as a matter of fact, the past couple I'm of years. I'm not nuts. I'm not no, crazy. The past couple of years, they've done a Black Friday record store day. See? Which uh, I only went to one time. And I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's enough of a hassle just mm-hmm. to go to the, the regular record store day. Where do you, so. where is your record store of choice when it's record store day? Where well, do I go you go? to Amoeba. You go to Amoeba. Amoeba has, it's the place you know is going to have the best selection of stuff. Yeah. Because, I mean, there are definitely some other smaller record stores in the area, like CD Trader. Or Freak like Beat. Freak Beat Records. Yeah. But they're not going to get all the stuff. No. You know? Because they're Records, just going to have to send it back. Amoeba Records, they, they're going to get at least a couple of everything. Is it nuts down there on Record Store Day? Oh, it is so nuts. What time do you got to get there? They, let's say they open at 9. What time would you get they there? They open at 10.30. But okay, so here's what happens. Let's then, say they opened at nine. What time would you get there? <laughs> and, and every year, every year I get there a little bit earlier and every year I still find myself like 20 people back in line. 20 is not too bad though. No, it's fine. But uh, yeah, this last time I got there about 11 o'clock at night, the night before. <gasps> what? Yeah. First time I went. That's not, that's really early. First time I went, I got there at like uh, five o'clock in the morning. Uh, at five, five, five thirty, someone like that, and there was already a long line halfway down oh the block. My Christ! And so then every year I came back an hour earlier and an hour earlier and an hour earlier, and finally it's like I'm there the night before now, and I'm still basically in the same spot. And it seems like that's what you got to do. There are people in front of me with tents; they're sleeping. Where do you take it? Do you like like take a folding chair? Or do you just stand? Yep, I got a I got a folding chair. Okay. I got a blanket, 
and uh, and then my friend uh, the DJ Riley Moore she uh, she joins me and so so I have some some company and what'll happen is they'll they'll go down the line and they'll give you a list of, they have a list printed out of all the stuff that's available and you check off the ones that you oh, want okay. and they come and get it they come and get the list from you and then when they start <laughs> opening up the store then they let a few people in at a time and you give them the number that they've given you that corresponds to the number that's printed on the list they give you a big old bag of stuff you make sure that it's all the stuff that you want and sometimes you know you don't get you everything know, and you pay to, for it and you go home i have to be honest that doesn't feel fun to me like i'd rather they just i'd rather like you feel out the people in line like hey what are you what are you uh what are you looking to get what's like like what's your number one and that guy says like oh, i want to get the you know the beatles box set and you're like yeah i heard that's good and then you're in in your head you're like that motherfucker there better be more than two of those because I, I, that's what i'm here for and i don't you think wouldn't you rather them open the doors and it's a free-for-all or do you like the list thing i like the list thing oh guys i don't like the free-for-all yeah, free for all because then you then you leave it up to the the no offense to you, but the dregs of society. The, <laughs> the other public is the worst. None taken. <laughs> what have you oh, said? You know what I mean. No, like, no, I, like, I do know what you mean. Yeah. No offense to you, but yes. <laughs> Hispanic people. <laughs> uh, no, I'll tell you what, though. I mean, the older I get, the, the the more I start thinking, is it really worth it for me to do it again? And I'm I know pretty soon I'm going to be getting to the point where it's like. I, I am too old for this shit, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go back. Well, with the, with the Blu-ray Steel books, I now just I pre-ordered the night before. I guess that's like the list. It's like the list because I would get there and I'm like, oh, these people are crazy that are here, and like they would open the doors and these guys would. I just said that I like this part, and now I'm saying I don't like it. <laughs> but with do records, they get more with, than one? Here's the thing. Well, here's the thing with Steel Book Day. There's like one thing I'm looking for. Record Store Day. It feels like there's a, a ton of stuff. Yeah. So you could, you know, pick there's, and, there's a couple of hundred things they yeah, bring out. Yeah. But so, someone just checks the whole list. <laughs> Somebody might, you never know. Yeah, they just take a highlighter. And program. the thing is, a lot of the people who are really at the front of the line, they're just there to turn around and sell dealers, on eBay. resale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what the steelbook people do too. Uh huh. And so, do they buy more than one or? Well, yeah, yes, they do. Well, I, I told this story before. I don't know if I've told it. Have I told it on the show about Probably. Thor, the Dark World? Yeah. All right. Which is a great uh, movie. I'll just tell you. <laughs> no, so I, I'm waiting for the Thor The Dark World steelbook. Yeah. You know, a bunch of guys. And you know what people are there for. You know, I can just tell they're sure. all there for that. So, all in their Thor t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> with their hammers. <laughs> they, um, and, and so the doors open. Everyone's psh, beelines it in there. They've only got six steelbooks. Boy. So, and, and I'm right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my one. Yeah. And a guy reaches past me and grabs three oh and this guy this guy was uh he was bigger than me i'm not a big guy but he was bigger than me and so he starts to go and i grabbed the stack i grabbed this so now it's like this he's got the three and i've got the three and i just peel one off the bottom and yeah. i just looked at him and i go you can't buy all three <laughs> and I, I i and i just walked away and bought it i don't know what he was thinking like what what just happened what yeah but uh, he didn't give any pushback either. But I was like, well, that's no, because he's man. a fucking nerd. And I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, they only give pushback online. I got to be honest. I don't know what possessed me to do that. It seems crazy that I grabbed what he and took one and go, no. Yeah. Nope. But that's but one you know what? Thing. Until you're out the door, Best Buy owns everything. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, no, that's not his until he pays for it. Yeah. So. That's one good thing about the list is one item per customer. 
you know, right. I mean, one item and they each. can enforce it. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't you don't get to you know you can check off all the items that you want, but you can only have one of them, and right. that's it. So so that's one good thing about it. How much money do you drop there on a record store day? What's a high day for West Anthony at record store day? Four hundred dollars. <laughs> that's that's the highest. Like this year, it was closer to like. Uh, 250, 275, because there wasn't as that, much stuff. That still doesn't seem you know? reasonable to yeah. me. I mean, there was this, and like they had a, a, a mono pressing of the first Pink Floyd album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. They had a special uh, five disc box set of it, edition of Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. There's no way I wasn't going to walk out with that. So, oh my God. <laughs> Johnny Cash is awesome. But huh. uh, and yeah, and there was a few other things. Now, how many of those will they have in stock? How many of those Johnny Cash things will they have? Uh, not that many because I got the last one. Wow. And I, I only know this because, and I didn't say anything, but the guy behind me, he wanted those same two things. Mm-hmm. He wanted the Pink Floyd. He wanted the Johnny Cash. I got them. He didn't. He was coming out of the store and I was saying, oh, so did you get what you wanted? It's like, oh, no, I didn't get it. And I was like, and I'm, I'm hiding my bags. Oh, He's tough, like, no, Dick. Luck, Thanks a lot, Dick. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't tell him. I don't, I don't want to be the one to tell him, oh, yeah, I, I got the last one. Hooray for me and fuck you. I, no, feel like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that you own, it's almost like an investment. Because if you ever wanted to get rid of something, which you're never going to do, I can tell. Look in your face. You're like, <laughs> nope, never. Um, you know, the resale value on stuff, like, you know, after a while I go through my stuff and I'm like, yeah, I don't need this anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I had a, I had a signed, uh, kiss box set. Oh really? And, um, I'm like, I don't even listen to these, to this. I'll just rip this in my thing. And I have their signatures on albums. And so I sold that thing for like 140 bucks. Sure. It's autographed by Gene Paul. And I think maybe Bruce Kulick signed it too, but. Okay. Yeah. This is the current value of my record. These are just LPs, not the CDs. He's just taking it because he can't see. But yeah. You, but you got, now, I can't see. That's what great is, for radio, no, okay. this physical comedy bit. <laughs> the, the, minimum, the minimum your collection's worth is $8,443. What's your address for the listeners at home? <laughs> uh, the median would be $13,000 and the maximum would be $23,000. That's, so, and yeah. that's just your record collection. Yeah, that's just vinyl. But again, I, I, now you got to find someone that's going to give you that. Well, what if someone came I'm to your gonna... door? What if someone came to your door and said, "I'll give you twenty three thousand dollars for whatever would fall under this category"? Would you Would you think about it? I might think about it, but I honestly don't think I would part with everything. Right, but the guy's got he's waving twenty three thousand dollars around. Yeah, well, that's I don't know. All in ones. <laughs> yeah, what is what? what yeah. <laughs> That's, this that's, is $23,000 in one. Again, Quite a lot to wave around, man. This. <laughs> yeah. Where, where's my, is it that camera? Yeah, it's that camera. All right. Uh, we've talked so much, I forget who played. I just played the bangles. Right. And then we talked for four hours. <laughs> okay, so now it's time for my second 80s uh, pick, and it's the, the Untouchables. There's a great uh, uh, ska band that came out of the, the mod revival here in the in. LA and they're regarded as America's first ska band. So that's uh, kind of cool. And they were also, they appeared in repo man, but they don't have a song on the soundtrack. That's were, weird. Yeah. Well, they were, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I but, haven't, but I know that, uh, you know, Emilio Estevez is in the movie and he also doesn't have a song on the soundtrack. No. And he won't talk about repo man either. Why not? Cause I don't know. He's just one of those guys that's like, you know, Oh, I, I want to be taken seriously for doing this. He hasn't done anything for 20 years. I oh, no, no, no. He's... Talk about the mighty ducks too. <laughs> he directs okay. movies now. 
He's actually got a movie coming out, like you know, for the, like the, the Christmas library. season. Yeah, the the library. Movie. I think it's called it was the supposed public. to come out last year too. Yeah, I think it's making the rounds of festivals. And I think it's going to be coming out, you know, towards the end of the year. And I'm hearing good things about it. And he, and he did a movie about uh, there was an ensemble movie about the assassination of Bobby oh, Kennedy. I saw that. It was awful. Yeah, it, it, it well, it had it had some some good things. Is Lindsay Lohan in that? Yeah, she's in that. Talk with, about with, Repo Man. Yeah. <laughs> That's your bread and butter. <laughs> Go sign some posters yeah, at a convention. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, they, you know, the Criterion Collection put out an edition of Repo Man. It's loaded with goodies, mm-hmm. and they got plenty of interviews from people who had worked on the movie. Emilio Estevez was not among them. That's bull- that is, that's the biggest piece of bullshit you know? I've ever and heard. Same thing is true of uh, The Breakfast Club. They put that out on the Criterion Collection. Yeah, oh, I have that. Couldn't get him to, to talk about it either. I don't, I don't know what the deal I is. I don't want to talk about the movies I made that were good. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Let's talk about Young Guns 2. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's not talking about that shit either. But anyway, so, I but, only talk about sequels. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the band? The Untouchables. Oh, I love that. And I'm going to look up uh, Emilio Estevez. I love the movie, The Untouchables. Oh, well, it's a great movie, but this has nothing to do with it. <laughs> this I'm, is, I'm looking up this his is, filmography. This was a very popular song of theirs here in the LA area. It's called Free Yourself. another defining song of my youth because basically it was like the flip side of institutionalized you know i would listen to institutionalized that was a song that reflected the way that i felt Mm -hmm. and then you listen to free yourself and that's the way that i want to feel that's what music can do for you yes that's one of the things that i that's why you know a lot of people are surprised that i love power pop so much because you know you hang around me long enough you find out that i'm a fairly morose bastard but that's why i love power pop that's my favorite band morose bastard (laughs) And that was that was the name of my prog rock band out of high school. <laughs> the highlight of our live shows was an elaborately arranged 32-minute performance of Take Me Out to the Ball Game. <laughs> Everybody went crazy for my eight-minute triangle solo. <laughs> but but that's why I love power pop because that's the music that makes you feel good. Yeah. And that's you know, yeah. that's that's really what you want music to do. And even, you know, that's the thing, even that music like in suicidal tendencies even though it's really, you know, dark and angry mm-hmm. and aggressive, you can get those angry feelings out of you and you feel better. Right. That's the power of music. Nobody wants to feel bad. No. Except maybe like, you know, guys who listen to the swans. I think that all they want to do is feel bad. <laughs> and the people that watch Black Swan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the last movie of note that Emilio Estevez was in, in was 22 years ago. And that was Mission Impossible, the first one. Yeah, I watched that one recently. Was he in that? He was in the, one of the he's, opening he's scenes. One of the, he's, he's, the team, he's in the team at the oh, beginning. Oh, that's yeah. right. I think, I think he's always the guy where I'm like, is that Emilio Estevez? And then here, then I'll read some. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, he didn't even get billing. I think it was like. No, he's uncredited. Cameo. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, he's such a big star. So here's what we got. Yeah, Cruz was throwing his buddy a bone. Then here's what came after that. The War at Home. 
Mighty Ducks 3, Late Late Night, Sand, Rated X, The Three Wise Men, The LA Riot Spectacular, Culture Clash in America, Arthur and the Invisibles, Bobby, The Way, and The Public. What the fuck are these things I just said? Yeah, The Public is a movie that's coming out soon, and I am hearing good things about it. The Way, the previous film... Uh, that's actually a, a pretty good movie. It's it's he's he's only in it very briefly. It's a it 2010 his, Spanish yeah. drama film directed, produced, and written by Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Starring, well, it's pretty much in English though. His dad stars in it. Okay, as a guy who's uh, just taking this this religious pilgrimage, uh, while sort of as a way to sort of deal with the the, the death of his son, who's okay. played in flashbacks by Emilio Estevez. Gotcha. And it's actually, it's not a bad movie. It's a metaphor for his career. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, the thing that, that really sells it is Martin Sheen. He, the guy is great. So, now, how did he get him in it? Uh, he, he had to pull a lot of strings and suck a lot of... No, it's... <laughs> uh, I said, hey, Dad, let's, let's do this, you know? We talked about this band... It's uh, Charlie Sheen he says no to. Yeah, please. Uh, we talked about the lead singer of this band, Maria McKee, earlier. This song's from 1985. The album is called Lone Justice. The artist is Lone Justice. Yeah. This is a song I believe Tom Petty wrote called Ways to Be Wicked. Tom Petty and Mike Campbell. Mike Campbell. Yeah, unfortunately, that band didn't, uh, they didn't nope. stick around as long as uh, I would have liked them to. Geffen Records, produced by Jimmy Iovine. Yep. That's why they got that Tom Petty song. Yeah. And I saw them open up for U2. Oh, Pittsburgh really? Pittsburgh Civic Arena, yes. When was that? A long was time ago. Right? Unforgettable Fire Tour. Okay, so that would have been like 85. 85, yeah. Yeah, okay. Pretty yeah, good. when I saw U2, which was last time I was at the Coliseum, uh, The Pretenders and Steve Jones opened for him. Oh, that's amazing. And that was when Johnny Marr was in The Pretenders. So he that, was, that was a brief, brief uh, yeah, very stint. Yeah, very small window. But Steve Jones opened solo? Yeah, was, he had just put out a solo album at that time. Which one, uh, Mercy? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I have both of those. Whichever album was out in 1987. Well, I'll tell you. That's the album he was touring behind. I'll tell you in a minute. But uh, yeah, three acts. 87 would be, that would be Mercy. Okay. Mercy and his other album came out in 89 called Fire and Gasoline. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So fun story involving uh, Maria McKee. Oh boy. Here we go. Now there's, there's a, an Irish band came out of the the late punk era in the late seventies, early eighties called, um, Clannad. (laughs) No, no, it's called the Undertones. Oh, different band, different okay. band. Okay, well, so they recorded like four albums uh, between late seventies and early eighties, and then they broke up. Their lead singer, a guy named Fergal Sharkey, started out on a solo career in 85, 86, Put out his his debut solo album, self titled solo album. First song, first track on that album is it's a song self titled. It's called Fergal. Fergal Sharkey. 
That's this guy. That's the guy's name. It's like Frag, Irish. Fraggle Rock. It's Irish. I don't know what you do with those guys. No, but so first song, first track on that album is a song called "A Good Heart." Okay. It was written by Maria McKee. Okay. About her relationship with Ben Montench, the keyboard player from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Ooh. Fergal Sharkey released this song as a single, and it went to numero uno in the UK. Big <laughs> big hit. Wow. The second track on Fergal Sharkey's solo album is called You Little Thief. It was written by Ben Montench and is allegedly about his relationship with Maria McKee. It was also released as a single, didn't go to number one, so girl power. Uh, Why do you call it <laughs> You Little Thief? Apparently the relationship didn't go nearly so well for him as it did for Miss McKee. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, uh, ben Mont is 11 years older than Maria McKee. Uh-huh. Well, that's not, I mean... It's not that's that's not normal in, the, in this town. It's normal. If I if I found a girlfriend who was eleven years younger than me, I'd be leaping in the air and clicking my heels together. <laughs> uh, so so what are we gonna hear? Okay, so my last song from the eighties. Uh, we were talking about them earlier before uh, the, the microphones went on. One of my favorite bands, and this is from one of my favorite albums. It's Metallica. A lot of people think of Metallica as a Bay Area band, which they are now. But they formed they here did? in Los Angeles. See, I, I didn't. I would have thought they were a Bay Area band. No, Lars Ulrich put an ad in the Recycler, looking for musicians to to you know, whack off with. <laughs> James Hetfield and another guy. They answered the ad, and uh, the other guy eventually went by the wayside. They found Dave Mustaine to be their lead guitarist, mm -hmm. and they found a, a bass player. I guess the guy's name was Ron. That was the original incarnation of Metallica. They recorded a song for the uh, a Metal Massacre compilation album in '82 for uh, Metal Blade, Blade Records. And then they found Cliff Burton. He was playing on stage at the Whiskey. And Lars and James were so taken with Cliff, it's like they practically begged him to join the band. And at first he didn't want to do it. And eventually he said yes, on the condition that they pack up and leave Los Angeles and move to El Cerrito wow. in the Bay Area. They wanted Cliff so much that that's what they did. And they've been up there ever since. But they started here in Los Angeles, okay? So this is the lead-off track from my favorite album of theirs, uh, And Justice for All, uh, which you can start at 55 seconds in. Um, this one, I believe, has been recently remastered, and it's coming out in a humongous box set, which I'm going to buy. My, my wallet is screaming as we speak. Uh, this, this is the first track on the album. It's called Blackened. It's a head-banging song. It's awesome. You bang your head to that. The the album yeah. is notorious for uh, having almost no bass on it. <laughs> All their albums have no bass. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we love you, Cliff. Turn the bass down. Well, no. See, this was the first album recorded after he died. Oh. and they, We they, love you, Jason. They, Turn yeah, the bass they brought in down. Jason Newstead, and yeah, it's... To, to this day, uh, Metallica fans are still bummed that there's there's seems to be no bass on that album. But uh, 
What yeah. if they? What if one of the discs in this new box set is just all isolated bass? <laughs> Here, put your own fucking bass yeah, in. Put, yeah. Get some uh, get some Pro Tools and fix it, you fuckers. <laughs> um, the uh, what was I just gonna say? Uh, that that was our first like metal song. Yeah, well, of the and, night and metal is another thing that uh, you know. I mean, it didn't start in Los Angeles, yeah. but we had a pretty healthy metal scene, hair in metal, Los Angeles in the late 1980s. Do you? Do and you? They came out of that scene. I don't mind the term hair metal. Some people don't like that. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the hair is writing the songs. No, wait a minute. <laughs> Are you sure? I, I think it might have been because Brett Michaels hasn't written a song since then. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Samson, and I think that's yeah. He doesn't. <laughs> That's right. You cut off the hair and, and down goes the talent. All right. I'm going to play a song by a, a band called X. Cool. But this is weird because this is my favorite X song, but it's not really what they do. It's not really a song in the, in the style that they are accustomed to doing. What is this? One of the knitter songs? This is from the album. So how we are. Oh, see, how, see we how we are. Okay. Sorry. See how we are. And this is 4th of July. Oh, I love this. Yeah. But you know what I mean. It's not... That song was written by Dave Alvin. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why it sounds different from what they usually do. Yeah, they were yeah. moving away from the, the more, you know, kind of speedy mm-hmm. punk thing yeah. and getting into more of a roots rock vibe after Dave Alvin joined the band. He left the band before they recorded this album, which yeah. is why you don't see him on it. But yeah, that was the thing. They were sort of, you know, headed into something more of a roots rock. Yeah, he's credited yeah. as additional guitar, and Ben Montench also plays Hammond organ on the album. But yeah, um... And also by that time, Billy Zoom, the original guitarist, he had left the band and he'd been replaced by Tony Gilkison. Yes. And so, so yeah, they, they were pursuing a different sound, but I love that album. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Yeah. And there's still some tracks there that are really, you know, you know, punchy kind of punky type songs. So, you know, I, I, it just, they were just sort of branching out and expanding their sound palette. And I, I thought it was magnificent. Yeah. I do love that song so much. That's my favorite X song. I don't, I mean, it's weird because. The original single had they did a on the B side they did a cover of Positively Fourth Street by Bob Dylan which is uh, pretty good. This says uh, also they did a Highway 61 revisited. There's an outtake. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, it's a bonus track on the uh, one of the Rhino reissues. Oh, that's right. Uh, I, think I remember that. Did I just close out the 80s or do you close it out? Oh no no, I did I my d- three and you did your three. So okay, you want to take us into the 90s? Yeah. You ever did? Have you ever seen X play live? No, but they come to the Canyon Club all the time, so I should go. Have you seen them? They, oh, I saw them open for Midnight Oil in 1988. It was totally awesome. Two excellent bands. 
Wes, you're going to take us into the 90s. I only have yes. two songs for the 90s. I only have one for the 2000s, and I only have one for the... No, that's not true. I have one for the... Why do I only have one for the 90s? I don't know. How you many do I have? Two for the 90s, two for 2000s, one I don't know what the other 90s song is, so <laughs> we'll just have to... We'll, I'll let you introduce it when we get there. Don't say anything. It's Wes's turn. Yep. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start with the Rembrandts. Now, everybody remembers the Rembrandts for, yeah, the, the theme song for Friends, which, I mean, I've only ever seen two episodes of Friends in my entire what life. What the so. fuck's wrong with you? You're not, you really aren't American. <laughs> I don't like yeah. Friends. I don't know. I, I watched an episode and I was it like. It doesn't hold up. I will say that. It's like, well, what the hell is this? And then, and then I went away and then I came back later and I tried to watch another episode and it's like. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't get yeah. this. And I'll tell you was what. Was it the one where you didn't give a shit about whatever the fuck they were doing? Yeah, they were all that one. <laughs> the um, What cracks me up about Friends is, like if Seinfeld comes on or, or any, any show that I loved and watched, I, I know all the episodes. But when Friends comes on, I'll be like, what? I don't think I ever saw this. Wait, but this I know we did. a monkey? Because we watched it every, we watched it, it was Must See Thursday. We watched it every week without fail. And but there'll be episodes that come on. I'm like, I don't remember this at all. Oh, and this is awful. They just wiped your memory. Yeah, they must. <laughs> yeah, I just just never got into Friends. Didn't My favorite seasons are when um, when Matthew Perry has a drug problem because he looks great. Oh. He's really thin when he when he's addicted to back pills. He looks great on camera. Well, then there's an advantage. He'd be to like something. that's some of the seasons. Like he'd be like super skinny, like unbelievably skinny, and then the next season he's a pig. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, he was in rehab. Oh, and now he's back on the junk. <laughs> well, okay, this that's, that's something so you there's can that. look for if there's you're that. watching the show. Okay. All right, Rembrandt. But, uh, yeah, so everybody remembers that theme song from Friends, but they started recording before then, uh, and this was from their, their debut album. And the funny thing is, you know, the... That, that Friends theme, it was released as a single and it got to like number 17 in mm -hmm. the charts. This song actually went to number 14 and nobody remembers it today. Let's so this it. is the lead off track from their first album. It's called Just The Way It Is, Baby. And this song didn't ruin their career. Nope. Mastelotto playing the drums he's from Mr. Mister. Yeah. And he also, uh, now I think currently he's drumming for King Crimson. Wow. Nice. And then just before this, he played with the uh, XTC on their album, uh, oranges and lemons. There you go. And, uh, I, 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 I always liked that song. It was a yeah, video. I, 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 I haven't heard that song forever. That's a good tune. Yeah. And it's like, it's been completely eclipsed by the theme from friends. And like I said, you know, this, this song actually went higher in the charts than that song, but people don't remember it. It's a shame. Uh, they don't remember it. Do they? Do, do they have 
a lot of money though because of that Friends theme song? They have to, right? I would hope so. I would hope but then so I too. think that they only have like co-writing because th- th- there was like the creators of the show also had a co-writing credit. Oh. So like, I'm pretty sure the co-writing credit on the song is split like four or five ways. Oh, Christ. You know? And then, so then they're only going to get maybe performance royalties and, you know, a tiny sliver of songwriting royalties. Terrible. <laughs> but even that, yeah. it's probably, you know, better than anything that uh, I'm than, pull, pulling down. Yeah. Better than what we're making right now. That's the thing. You know, you get one good song out there mm-hmm. and you can be set for life. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. That's, that's why so many, you know, you, when young musicians talk to, you know, more experienced musicians and they ask them for advice, one of the things they all invariably hear is hold on to your publishing. Keep your publishing. Don't sell your publishing because that, that can sustain you in a yeah. rainy day. That sometimes that can sustain you in life. Yeah. My favorite example is Nick Lowe. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, he wrote "What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding," and then Curtis Stigers covered it, and that was on the the Bodyguard soundtrack, biggest selling soundtrack in the universe. Yeah, forty four million copies mm-hmm. worldwide. Yep, and it's like, okay, let's say his songwriting royalty is like maybe say, let's say it's a nickel mm-hmm. per disc. That's over two million dollars. Yeah. Okay, and that's not today dollars. That's nineteen ninety two dollars. Yeah. Okay, that's a house. That's all the furniture. That's yep. two cars in the garage. That's all the guitars he can eat. Yep. And he's still got money for a rainy day. And rainy days in England aren't as bad as they are in, in America because over there they have healthcare. And also Elvis Costello recorded that song. Yeah. So he's getting money there too. But that money pales in comparison yes. to the money from the bodyguard money. <laughs> uh, let's go with a band I know Kyle does not like. This is from 1991 from the album Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. This is the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Breaking the Girl. Now, the, the band was around before the 90s. Oh, yeah. They've been around since the 80s. But they really broke out in the 90s. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Well, this, I mean. So we can say they're a 90s band, right? We can include them. Well, they're an L.A. band. So they're that's an L.A. Why band. We're including them. All right. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, I, the reason I included this song on the list is because this is the only Red Hot Chili Pepper song I care for. All the other ones, you can just throw them in a garbage disposal and it won't make any difference to me. I won't miss them a bit. How do you feel about that, Kyle? Uh, I don't like that song. <laughs> I like like three of their songs and then they play them constantly. Yeah. yeah. Like Under the Bridge. I'm, yeah. I am sick to death of Under the Bridge. I, I want that bridge to fall on them. Every time, every day when I turn on uh, KLOS, Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. Every, every fucking day. That's, like it's crazy. That's the problem with radio. It's one of the, I mean, I haven't listened to terrestrial radio and I don't even know how long, but that's one of the things that, that drove me away is that mm-hmm. they have these incredibly tiny playlists you have. And particularly a, a rock station like KLOS, you have the entire length and depth and breadth of rock and roll decades and decades of decades stuff that you can pull out. And they just play like 60, 70 of the same songs all the time. 
It's the same reason when you turn on basic cable, there's just Big Bang Theory and Friends reruns. It's yeah. Because it's for just like the people but who just don't man, give a shit and have no taste. Classic rock radio <laughs> took Free Fallin' away from me. It's, I, they, I, I don't, I'm not sick of that song yet, but well, I, I understand. They, I never they just kept song. playing it and kept, and eventually it just got to the point where I would just change the dial and I didn't want to play it anymore. And I stayed away from that song for years and mm -hmm. years. And it wasn't until I saw the documentary that Peter Bogdanovich directed. Yeah. And they told the story about, you know, making the album and, and creating that song. And then they started playing it. And I almost started crying. I was like, I got the song back. Yeah. It was, that's so, good. It was, just, it was just a magic moment. So take it, just bust up your radio then. When you oh, yeah. Home. Like I said, I haven't listened to terrestrial radio in forever. Hey, I am never going back. You get what you pay for and the radio is free. <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich sat down right at this table, West Anthony. Really? When when the when the hell did that happen? He was on a, he was on Pilar's um podcast and I brought um there's a there's a what do you call it when it's a companion piece to a movie, like a book, a, a compendium? Is that what you call it? Uh, I mean, Is that that's a word? One thing, yeah. That's... All right. Well, I have the uh, I have the running down the dream uh, book. Oh, okay. And and um Bogdanovich wrote the foreword to it. Right. So I brought that to uh to have him sign oh man and he was so excited that i had that because i was just it was before we recorded and i was just talking to him about yeah you know tom petty and he yeah. was like i said i said were you were you a tom petty fan he just didn't know who he was yeah i know i was, was like so what <laughs> he goes yeah my my uh my my girlfriend or my wife at the time, she's probably like nine, 90 years younger than him <laughs> said yeah he's he said well, who's tom petty he keeps calling me he wants me to direct this documentary and she goes he's one of the premier songwriters singer songwriters of our time he's like so yeah. should i do it she's like yes and then um i said to him i go after everything was done did you ever did you tell him that you you didn't really know who he was he goes no why would i do that he's like <laughs> i don't know maybe that'd be fun but he um what else did he tell me he said uh he said tom insisted that he ask all the questions oh, okay. in the documentary too well that's cool yeah because I know that, like with the the big Bob Dylan documentary that Scorsese directed, he didn't actually interview Bob Dylan. I think for for any of those interviews, no, I don't think it was actually him. It was somebody weird. else who did it, and then he just took the footage and, and put it into the movie. That's so. lazy filmmaking, Scorsese. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Bogdanovich is such. A, I mean, he's not the guy that I would have thought of to direct no, a movie about no. Tompany and the Heartbreakers. No. But he was a perfect guy because yeah. he made a fantastic film. I love yeah. it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, he also drooled on my book because I think he might have maybe had a stroke or something. He was a little Ouch. drooly on the lips. Well, he could have wiped it off with that scarf he has around his neck. He did have that on. I mean, he comes he in. He never doesn't have that the on. Big, the big glasses and the scarf. When do you start rocking that scarf? And you're like, this is, is my look. Is that like uh, is that like that uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, short story where like if he takes the scarf off, his head falls off? <laughs> <laughs> The only way I wear that scarf is if I had a tracheotomy at one point and I'm trying to hide it. Yeah, I, do, I don't know where he picked up that affect, but I mean, he's yeah, had that's it his for thing. at least 30 years. That's that his I thing. Look, here's what we know. Bogdanovich always wears a scarf and Brett Michaels always wears three hats. <laughs> always. And you never uh, see them together in the same place. Nope. What hmm. do you, uh, I lose track. I just played Chili Peppers right. and now we're So team. now it's time for my, my second 90s track. And uh, perhaps you're familiar with the Eels? Um, you know what? I know the name. Okay. I know that the singer's E. Right. Because he's a friend of David Wiles and David Wiles talks about him a lot. That's I know cool. that Steve Perry has jumped up on stage with him here in LA. Oh, that's good. And sang some background vocals. 
but I, I don't believe I know any of their songs. Okay, well, this isn't from the Eels. This is from E well, himself. What the <laughs> fuck? Did you, did you just gaslight me? <laughs> e put out two albums okay. uh, in the early 90s before he formed the Eels, and this was uh, the, the first album. It's called A Man Called E. And uh, yeah, he, yeah, he was born in Virginia, and then he moved to L.A. in the, the late 80s to pursue a music career. I read somewhere that... Uh, he has to wear glasses because he was hit in the eye with a laser during a Who concert when he was a teenager. Well, look, you go to a Who concert, you better be ready to rock. And duck, evidently. <laughs> Can you really get hit in the eye with a laser back then? That's what I heard. That's, <laughs> wow. At least that's what I heard happened to him. Well, look, let me tell you something. Was, a lot gold, of things, was Goldfinger on stage <laughs> with him? <laughs> a lot of things. A man called E. <laughs> Look, a lot of things have happened to kids at Who concerts, so he got off easy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But uh, yeah, so this is a song from his first album. I really love this song. It's called Nowheresville. I want to see Paris Insane on the scene I want to go to England and walk down Penny Lane, half a pint in Ireland, may wash away my pain, I'm stuck in mine. I like that very much. It's a great song. Is that, that what whole, the Eels music is like also? No. <laughs> After he formed the Eels, uh, really, I mean, th this music is, I mean, it's kind of sad, but it's got, you know, I mean, in terms of the lyrics, the his first album, it's, it's the lyrics are kind of sad and melancholy, but the music is really, you know, a little more poppy and uplifting like what you heard. The Eels, boy, oh boy, he just went straight into the morose bastard mode. And <laughs> it's... I mean, there's some there's there's some really wonderful, uh, beautiful songs in there, but it's I mean, he's lost like most of all, I think like all of his family to one thing or another, and oh, he's, he's just been through some some terrible terrible. What's shit. his real name? Mark Oliver Everett. Okay, so the name. E is for Everett. Yeah, because everybody for the E and Oliver. <laughs> why didn't he just Why didn't he call himself Mo M O E Mark Oliver <laughs> Edward? I'm well, Mo. Then he's gonna get hit with a wrench. That's true. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Why <laughs> I oughta. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the Eels are a good band, but uh, depressing as all get out. Yeah. So, all right. you know, be warned of, of that. Kyle, for some reason, my other 90s song has disappeared from my list in front of me. What do we got? Give me, give me a hint. J.A. Jane's Addiction? Yes. <laughs> and the song is called Jane. It says... Jane's addiction. Jane says. Jane says she has an addiction. <laughs> Jane says, I'm done with Sergio. You treat me like a red girl. She
Okay, now here's the deal with Jane's Addiction. I do not like that band, but yeah. I love that song. Oh, really? I do okay. love that song. But when, so when their name gets brought up to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, no. 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 No, no. Uh, give me, give me <laughs> the reasons why. Don't tell me because. Well, is somebody angling for that? I think they were on the they were on the ballot a couple years ago or in consideration. Wow, just I don't even remember. Uh, is it because Perry? Is it Farrell? Yeah, yeah. He sounds like a character in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, and he's had <laughs> some really weird plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Oh, that but I don't know. Just because? Um, is it because he created Lollapalooza? Is that why? That doesn't get the band well, then in there. You could give him like you know some kind of adjunct award because yeah. like you know like like George Martin is in the Hall of Fame, of course. But you know because he's George fucking Martin, right? But not because he's a musician. So I mean, they could give Perry Farrell some kind of you know adjacent thing for for creating Lollapalooza. The reason, okay, I I included on my list. I included uh, "Been Caught Stealing" by Jane's Addiction because that is the only Jane's Addiction song I can tolerate. And, and I like I like that song too. But those are the only two. Uh huh. And let me let me see. The first album sold a million copies. The second sold two million. The third sold went gold. And then the last one didn't do anything. That's not even a big discography, you know. Yeah. They, they, from 1990 to 2003, they didn't do anything. They were hiatus. And then 2003 to 2011, it took them eight years to do uh, their fourth album. No way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you could say no that way. they were influential to other bands, but I don't know anybody who was going around saying, oh, yes, in, we, we know everything. Yeah. Everything we do came because in, of Jane's Addiction. And, and are the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, and I don't think they should be either. But see, see, but but I mean, but you could make see. I think they should be, but you could make a a, a much more vast argument for the Chili Peppers, maybe than for Jane. Maybe. Well, they but have, also they've got, they they've have got four got, songs that they play on the radio, and Jane's okay, Addiction has one. Yeah. So. Okay, but also okay. Let's try try something a little more analogous. Okay. The Velvet Underground. They only recorded four albums. Only eight people bought each one. <laughs> right. You know, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I and they and because they are wildly influential. It has been said by more than one person that everybody who ever bought a Velvet Underground album then went out and started a band. And I'm sure that that's probably an exaggeration, but I'm sure there's also a certain amount of truth to that. Right. Many people have, uh, you know, claimed the Velvet Underground as an influence and you can yeah. hear the Velvet Underground in many bands. So, you know, that makes sense. Even David though they've recorded back. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, and, and again, Album sales don't mean that you should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but sure. I, but I do have to say, uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic sold seven million copies. Uh, Californication sold six million, and their most recent album, which none of us probably heard, called The Getaway, that went gold in 2016. So I mean, so that's half they, a million. Yeah. So they still, I mean, and, and they have other albums that have gone. You know, Stadium Arcadia was three times platinum, and By the Way is two times platinum, and one hot minute is two times. So they've sold tons of albums and done massive tours. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jane's Addiction, they have to play the Roxy if they come they, and tour. In 2009, they toured with Nine Inch Nails, and it was called the Ninja Tour, which yeah, is cool. That's cool. Cute. But no one, no one stayed for Jane's Addiction, I don't think. No. Wait, were they last on the bill? Yeah. Nine Inch Nails opened for Jane's Addiction? They like, it was like co-headlining. Yeah, I'm walking out after Nine yeah, Inch Nails. Yeah, because that, because in all the, all the, what was it? Like Jane's Addiction played at night and Nine Inch Nails played like during the sunset sort of thing. It was like a, 
whatever. The only way I like I that is if Nine Inch Nails play it plays during Jane's Addiction <laughs> set. <laughs> <laughs> Just drowns them out. Well, you never know. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, your so, turn. Yeah, I'm going to close out the 90s with the... Okay, well, first, I've just... I'm going to say the name of the guy whose band this is. It's a musician named Mark Stewart. And he's known primarily as uh, Stu. And he started a band. We still recording? Yeah. All right. Taking a little peek over there. All right. We're fine. And I should also mention that Stu is black. This is why you should not get your, uh, you know, bent out of shape when I tell you that his band was called The Negro Problem. Okay. So I was getting it, nervous that it was going to be called it, something else. Th- there was a certain amount of controversy, but I, I remember he, he appeared on a radio show, local radio show in L.A., you know, to, to defend that, that name. I guess that maybe the radio hosts didn't know he was black, but because he it's funny. One of his principal influences is like Burt Bacharach. So that's the kind of music that that he does. Mm-hmm. So you could be forgiven for you know listening to his music and not necessarily thinking, oh, this is a black guy. But um yeah, they did a few albums, and then he did a couple of uh, solo albums, and then he went Broadway. No, seriously, he started developing a Broadway show called Passing Strange. It eventually it opened off-Broadway, and then it made its way to Broadway. He won a Tony for, like, best book. That's amazing. And it was filmed by Spike Lee, and, you know, you can, so you can see it on, on video. Explain to, to people that don't know what best book means. Well, uh... Actually, I'm not entirely sure because oh, there's, I know cause there's music. Yeah, and there's I know what lyrics. it is too. There's music and there's lyrics. And then the book, I guess, is like all the dialogue in between yeah, the music the and lyrics. It's yeah. basically the script, but they call it the book. Yeah. So, right. so he won a Tony Award for that. But, but this is a, a song from uh, one of his albums uh, as the Negro Problem. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, I just, I really love this song. Uh, it's called Monsanto. So Monsanto is a reference, you know, because you he mentions Disneyland in the lyrics, and that was, you know, Monsanto was a sponsor of like at least one of their rides that I know of, okay. which was uh, Adventure Through Inner Space. Remember that one, or did or did you ever go to Disneyland when that ride was here? I don't think I did. Okay, because it's it basically they tore it out in the '80s to make way for the 3D theater where they mm-hmm. showed Captain EO. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I loved that ride when I was a kid. I hate Disneyland. <laughs> oh, okay. Next subject, please. I just I. <laughs> I find uh, just I haven't been to Disneyland in like 30 years. I just so get I don't know. so frustrated with the people that are at Disneyland. Oh, okay. It's yeah, like the dregs of society. the dregs of society. It's a, <laughs> oh, m- more Mexicans? The, you know, just just <laughs> the public. We're talking about? <laughs> just like anyone who's not me <laughs> or like the like 
Yeah, it's been such a long time yeah. since I've been to Disneyland. All right, so let's take us in. I'm going to take us into the 2000s. Okay. This is a band that Kyle and I both like. We've seen them twice. We saw a private show at some underground hotel area. Well, no, we we saw it at a different... We we went to the wrong... We went to the wrong place. And, and they. I showed them the ticket. And they said, yeah, get in line. Go, yeah, go ahead. And then let us in. And then I asked someone inside. I'm like, where are they playing? And they're like... What are you talking about? Not here. And so I'm like, oh, well, that person didn't even look at the thing on my phone. I could no. have showed him anything. We were in like some private sex club. It, no, it was like... It's one of those speakeasies. It's called No Vacancy. And yeah. it's like... Lo- looks like a hotel. We were at a place. We shouldn't have been there. But then we did find it. And it was uh, the band's Rooney. Mm-hmm. Huh. We, were, we were disappointed with their last album, Washed Away. It's the first bad album. First bad album. Now, you know what? Neither one of us know this. Last July, July 2017, maybe you do know this. I did not. They released a six-song EP called El Cortez. I did not know that. I knew that they had a new song recently that came out that I listened to. So do you have, is there a new sting in my list? Oh, yeah, there is. Okay, play that sting and then give me the chord and we'll listen to some new Rooney real quick. Okay. So here's a sting created by Steve O'Dockerson. Let's hear it. That was New Music Roundup. Mm-hmm. I think the vocals aren't up in the mix enough, Steve. Steve L. All right. So. Well, it was produced by the guy who did the new Foo Fighters. <laughs> okay, so this is an EP called El Cortez. I did not listen to this because I wanted to listen to it with you. Do you like Rooney at all? Yes, I do. All I right. like them very much. This first song. Have you heard si- this? I don't think I have, no. Mm-hmm. All right. It's got, it's got six songs on it. It's got four minutes, uh, one, two, three, uh, you know, these are all 80 like- minutes. <laughs> this is uh this this clock's in longer than the movie roller coaster okay this song is called tell me what uh tell me i can't even read tell me what we've learned okay okay so far so good yeah you sure this isn't the theme from chariots of fire <laughs> That sounds good. Like this, Kyle? Yeah, it's all right. Well, I know this look, I've seen it all before. All right, let me try another one. This, this is the one that's getting the most downloads. Uh, it's called Second Chances. Here we go. intros oh, 
I like it. Yeah. It's a little more electronic. Yeah. Let's try one more. I'll give you I'll give you four song titles, West. You pick. The time is now. Day to day. It's you and two steps ahead. Uh let's go with the first one. The time is now? Yeah. All right, let's hear this. The EP is called El Cortez. This is very 80s. Yeah. like it i do like it i'm just gonna play my song from here kyle this is good stuff i chose a song from their first album i didn't tune in for the rooney podcast (laughs) (laughs) from 2003 wow that's uh 15 years ago now yep uh this song is called uh shaken oh cool rodney on the rock used to play this song a lot yeah i love it Named after the principal in Ferris Bueller. Yeah, not, in hindsight, not the best thing. Not a good idea. Should have called the band Cameron. I think their second album, Calling the World, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's so good. If you've never heard it, it's from 2007, Calling the World. It is not a sophomore slump in the least. Love it. Yeah, that's a good bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I've tried to get Robert Schwartzman on here many times. And just, no one will get back to me. No one will get back to me. And, of course, uh, related to Jason Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. And, of course... Talia Shire is his mom. Yeah, his dad is uh, John Schwartzman. Who was, uh, he produced one of the, uh, the only non-canonical James Bond movies, Never Say Never Again. Really? Yep. We found that movie at a truck stop on VHS when like, my brother and I were like, younger and like, watching all the Bond movies and bought it like, immediately. Wow. Well, I guess you would have to if you find it at a truck stop. I mean, yeah. that's, like, that's like finding gold in... in what? The what? They have this here? <laughs> the, um, we also saw Rooney at the El Rey Theater. Great. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. And Talia Shire was there. Oh, wow. And at the El Rey, you got to, even the band has to come in and out of the front door because that's where we met them. Yeah. And they, you know, gracious and signed my, my album. But Talia Shire, a bunch of autograph hounds knew she would be there. And these were just guys that are getting stuff signed to sell. Ugh. And uh, and they had you know, Rocky stuff and and um, 
Godfather stuff. stuff. And and she signed it, but I mean, I was just like, they brought on, a man. heavy bag. <laughs> <laughs> they were just, uh, they were yelling Adrian, but uh, they, uh, I'm just like, she just wants to come out and see her son play a show. Yeah. She is the saving grace of Godfather part three. I know a lot of people hate that movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, but the, the character of Connie really just has one of the most impressive character arcs from the first movie to mm-hmm. the third movie. And the, by the third movie, it's, it's actually kind of heartbreaking yeah. how she's become, you know, it's like, you know, really just yeah. scheming behind the well, scenes. It's just like her character arc in Rocky. Cause in Rocky one, she's a dimwit. <laughs> she's not a dimwit. She's just shy. <laughs> she's kind of stupid. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what if, what if we got the original script and it went, it said uh, Adrian. Her description was a, a shy dimwit, kind of stupid. Basically, olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> olive oil, but with boobs, <laughs> with bigger boobs. Oh, Apologize to our female listeners. Yeah, you know that this is all just uh, for fun. And then her brother is Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> Jeep is smarter than Polly. <laughs> Polly is such a fucking asshole. Oh, he's wimpy. Polly's robot is smarter than Polly. Oh, the robot. <laughs> Anyone who tells me Rocky Four is good, I just hate. Well, like I really I wish, worry. I wish they would have continued that continuity in the other Rocky films, where like I wish you marry that robot. Well, like the technology keeps getting like crazier and yeah. crazier because they already were like when well, the 80s we had this big, we had this robot that yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. Polly has a mechanical dog. I'm worried about Creed too. Cuz that, that first Creed movie, I don't know if you saw it. It's great. I loved it. I love it's it. Fantastic. But now Creed 2, he's going to take on Drago's son? Yeah, now Seriously? we're like they should have ended it with Creed because Stallone gave such a great performance as Rocky. And it's now he's going to fuck it up. It's the same thing. Like there's a scene They should have let him write it. There's just gonna let him write this new movie. There's a scene right out of Rocky Three when when Creed, young Creed says, um, Adonis Creed says, uh, you don't think I can beat him? And he gives him that look, the same look that Mickey gave yep. Rocky when he didn't think he could beat Clubber Lang. Yeah. They just Sylvester Stallone should not be writing any more movies of any kind ever. Well, I saw I'm working on Cobra too. I saw a video yesterday where he's just in a gym going like ah ah, like doing these like bed, bed dress. Who is Stallone for then, real or for to for for real? A joke? And then he and then he sits up and he goes uh, Rambo Five coming 2019, and then he says something else and it just cuts him off. Yeah, he's gonna make another Rambo movie. Is he ripped though? He's wearing a shirt. Right. So. Probably. He's about as ripped as a 75-year-old guy is going to be. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> you can't beat him. You got, I can't be in the ring. You can't do it. He's you can't do it. He's a mess. That's how his line delivery is now. Hey, look, you know, you run a restaurant. You know. All right, what's your, uh, okay. we're, we're in the 2000s. The 2000s. My first track in the 2000s, I mean, we, we did, it would be ridiculous if we didn't play this one. It's Linkin Park. Uh, like, they came from Magora Hills. This first album, that this is from the track, it's from their first album, Hybrid Theory, it sold 30 million copies. Yeah. Okay? It's the best-selling rock album of the 21st century. Okay? It's the best-selling debut album since Appetite for Destruction. So... It would be ridiculous if we, we didn't play the song. It's the fourth single off the album. It's my favorite song on the album. You can start it from about 15 seconds in. 
Uh, it's called In the End. It starts with one thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I'm designed just trying to explain in due time. All I know. Time is a valuable thing. Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings. Watch it count down to the end of the day. The clock takes life away. It's so unreal. Didn't look out below. Watch the time go right out the window. Trying to hold on. To didn't even know. I wasted it all just to watch you go. I kept everything inside and even it all fell apart What it meant to be will eventually be a memory of a time I tried so Yeah, that is a good tune. Yeah, I like their I like those first two albums a lot. Yeah, I haven't listened Hybrid to anything they've done. Meteora. Yeah, I haven't listened to anything they've done since then, I don't think. Um, but yeah, I don't know really, the other one. I didn't know they were from Agora Hills. That's cool. Yeah, local boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't even know if they're going to continue recording as Lincoln Park now that uh, Chester Bennington is is gone, no longer with us. I don't I don't know how that's going to work. Rock in peace, Chester Bennington. Yeah, because I think he was like a he wrote a lot of the songs too, mm-hmm. and then yeah, maybe they could get Chris Cornell to sing for them. Oh, what? Mm. I hate to break it to you. What? Yeah, I'm sorry, Scott. Why? Uh no. All these guys that all these guys. <laughs> Who's that? Is that is walking? Here? Try to do walking, but I can't. Can oh. you do it? All these guys, N- no, these only guys, they, the, they're dropping like flies, taking their lives. The guys, I can't do it. Oh, let me tell you, some of these guys, you know, they got everything to live for. They got the music, and they got their bands, and they got their fans, and they just <laughs> gotta, they gotta stay the course, and just, uh, you know, because they got at least, uh, they got many years left. They got at least what. One, two, three, four years left. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I love just, you know, I love living. And every day I wake up, I make, a, I make sausages and I make pancakes. I love making waffles. My kids love waffles. Strawberry waffles. <laughs> That's what they like. So I make them every day. I take strawberries, I mash them up. I put them in the batter. Are they frozen strawberries? Or you just- Those are frozen. No, I get fresh. People say, Paul, and I say, what? And they say, Paul, what's your favorite breakfast? I say, scrambled eggs. <laughs> you can't beat a big plate of scrambled eggs. <laughs> and hash browns. Did, did you ever see this, this letter that... Frank Sinatra wrote to George Michael. It's like I, an open letter. I thought you were going to say Paul Stanley. No. no Frank just, Sinatra no, wrote me a letter. We're, we're, we're talking about you know, these rock stars, you know, talking to other rock stars and con- yeah. telling them not to not to kill themselves and stuff like that. But this is a thing from like 1990. I guess uh, George Michael had appeared on a, the cover of the LA Times calendar mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. under the headline, The Reluctant Pop Star. And he was, you know, because 
you know, he's obviously his worldwide fame, and he's sort of, I guess, he was bemoaning mm-hmm. some of the elements of that fame. And he wrote this this letter, and I'm just going to read just this one part of here. Come on, George, loosen up, swing, man. Dust off those gossamer wings, you fly yourself to the moon of your choice, and be grateful to carry the baggage we've all had to carry since those lean nights of sleeping on buses and helping the driver unload the instruments. And no more to talk about the tragedy of fame. The tragedy of fame is when no one shows up and you're singing to the cleaning lady in some empty joint that hasn't seen a paying customer since St. Swithin's Day. And you're nowhere near that. You're top dog on the top rung of a tall ladder called stardom which in Latin means thanks to the fans who were there when it was lonely. <laughs> this is something Frank Sinatra yeah. wrote. <laughs> also, get rid of Ridgeway. He's bringing you down. He's making you look like a fancy boy. What was that? St. what day? St. Swithin's Day. That's a, it's a holiday in England. We don't, we don't have it here. Do you sure. celebrate that, Paul? And do me a favor. Wake <laughs> me up before you go-go. <laughs> what, uh, what is Paul celebrating? St. Swithin's Day. Let me tell you something. When I was growing up, we would celebrate Christmas, <laughs> April Fool's Day, and St. Swift's Day. It's on July 15th. Yeah, July 15th. <laughs> you, it's not in September. No, July. I call it Zeptember. I listen to all the Zeppelin albums. Zozo. That's number four, but I call it Zozo. Number five, I call it Cece. <laughs> That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> you like physical graffiti? I just actually spit. All right. This next Chris. band I'm going to play from the 2000s. Uh, now they're a Toto cover band. Oh, yeah. Okay. But back then, they were Weezer, and this is uh, Island in the Sun. Oh, cool. That's a great album. Yeah, produced it is. by Rick Ocasek. Rick Ocasek also produced the Blue album too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did not produce that train wreck Pinkerton, which I don't <laughs> yeah. care what anyone says. That's a piece of shit. A yeah, lot people of people are coming around to it and like, oh, Pinkerton is underrated. It's like, no, no, it's precisely rated. Yeah, they produced <laughs> it themselves. It sounds like the guitar tracks are switched on all the songs because it's fu- it's fuck it's a mess. You know what I call that album? Stinkerton. <laughs> 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 I I don't know. So far, there are very few things that have come in for critical reappraisal that I have agreed with. When somebody, you know, oh, this thing, everybody didn't like it, and now, oh, we're taking a look at it, and it's not so bad. No, no, it's it's so bad. It may actually be worse now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. I, I I still can't understand all the people who are coming in now and saying that uh, Heaven's Gate is a, is, a, <laughs> is a really good movie. Come like, on, guys, it's not. You know, it's really good though. Roller coaster. <laughs> 
Oh, well, I mean, I mean, people are coming that? around to that big time. Mm-hmm. It has roller coasters in it. It's yeah, roller exactly coasters. as advertised. There are no gates in Heaven's Gate. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Michael Cimino. Oh, based on this poster, I wouldn't see it. <laughs> it, it, it. I mean, I've seen that movie like maybe three times, four times. What's it about? It's about four hours long. <laughs> now, okay, look. Okay, see, it's... It's basically, it's based on something that actually happened in the Midwest. It was a range war where, you know, there were, it's kind of funny because it sort of relates to things that are going on today. There were a lot of immigrants coming into the country and they wanted to, you know, have their own land and they wanted to farm the land and and grow things and, and help build this beautiful country. And then a bunch of rich fucks who owned a lot of cattle and needed that land for grazing, they decided, well, let's just hire some people to kill these guys. And that's what they did. And... Michael Cimino made a movie about it, but because he had been given so much, you know, control and final cut because of the success of The Deer Hunter, which itself is a wildly overrated fucking movie. uh, (laughs) Heaven's Gate is, okay, like the first half hour of the movie is a graduation scene where Chris Christopherson and John Hurt uh, are college graduates and they don't have younger versions of of actors playing them. They have them playing them. These are guys who are in their mid-30s. They're playing college graduates from Harvard. The entire first <laughs> half hour of the movie is, is just, just calling that. names. And then after the, that half hour, all of a sudden, it's like five years later, and they're out in Wyoming. It's like, wait, what the what was the fucking point of that scene? And then you get into the story. And is, it's just is how, there a now, good, is there a good movie in there? If they edit it to ninety minutes, is there something good? You know what? Or After maybe, the movie premiered, they took it out of circulation and they cut it down to like two hours and fifteen minutes, hmm. and then they put it back in theaters. Didn't help a bit. Wow. <laughs> how do you feel about the cult Heaven's Gate? Uh, probably more entertainment value. <laughs> <laughs> you got a song from the two thousands? Yes, I do. Uh, this is a band called the Syrups, and they came from uh, Arcadia. And this is just so weird. I don't even know how this happened. It's weird. It's like weird. I mean, maybe somebody like, you know, got a hold of, you know, one of their earlier EPs or something like that. I think they put out a couple of EPs. And then apparently Jeff Emmerich, the engineer for the Beatles, went on to produce for Elvis Costello. And he'd engineered recordings by Cheap Trick and and tons of other people. This guy thought the syrups were so good, he came out of retirement to produce this album in 2003. After which, they never recorded another full-length album again. I think they put out one EP since then. They are still around, as far as I know. But nothing came out of this album. And it's an excellent album. So this is a song from that. Uh, It's a self-titled album from 2003. This is The Syrups with Metal Man. Oh, 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 
Isn't that great? That is great. That was really good. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why nothing came of it. It was, uh, it was on an independent label, as far as I know. They'd never been on a major label, and uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure they're still around today, but they never really followed up on that album. And it's like you know, you have Jeff Emmerich in your corner. How does, how does that not translate into something happening? That's what I'm thinking anyway. That's what I say. Yeah, you got Jeff Emmerich. He comes out. Out of retirement, takes these kids in the studio, does his magic, lay down some tracks, nothing happens. Then Sinatra wrote to him. He said, hey, you kids, buck up. Bang some broads, drink some gin. Let's do this. Um, I only have one song for the 2010s. I probably could have dug around and got another one. I only have one though, right? had communication with the management of these uh, three young ladies, their sisters from the Valley. Ruby. Still like to get them on here. They've never said no. But they haven't said yes. They have not said yes. Have they said maybe? They've said, oh, that sounds interesting. I tell them, we, we record right here in the fucking Valley. <laughs> I go, yeah, 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 Fee Wable can vouch for us. He won't even come here. <laughs> this band is called, I like to say it like Jerry Lewis would say, hi, Ladies, there's three ladies of heim. This is a song I'm going to play. Jay. A little bit Archie Bunker leaked in there. 2017, the album's called Something to Tell You, Little Goyle. This, uh, this song's called Want You Back. Some things are long forgotten. Some things were never said. We were on one and this but I had a wandering heart I said we were opposite lovers You kept trying to prove me wrong And I know that I ran you down So you ran away with your heart But just know that I want you back Just know that I want you back just know that I want you, I'll take the fall and the fault And I'll give you all the love I never gave before I left Just know that I want you back Just know that I want you back Love those two albums I like their first album better than their second album I think their second album, I think they're veering a little too much into like, you know, pop diva stuff Yeah, okay, I get it I like them as a rock and roll band I don't think they've made a, a great album yet. I don't think that, like, when I see them on when their two performances, with the two times they were on Saturday Night Live, I feel that they, they haven't captured what they do live on record yet. Yeah. And, um, but I think, uh, I don't think, I think they're far from over. No, I'm sure they've got a pretty good career ahead of them. I mean, West Anthony think, thinks they're done, <laughs> Kyle. He's a... Uh, putting the nail in the coffin. He says, forget it. Did those albums sell? First one went gold. The second one did not go gold. Hmm. Actually says, uh, Wikipedia says it only sold in the U.S. 26,000 albums. Wow. Well, you know. That's physical copies though, right? Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of albums aren't selling physical copies so much anymore. Yeah. 
You, know, you got to look at like how many plays they've been getting on Spotify and YouTube. Oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's, that's, that's you're making you're, up words. That's where you're going to get a real sense of how popular they are and how well they're doing. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, the the two songs I'm going to play from from the 2010s. Now, one of these will be your playout song. So. Oh, will they? Well. I, ha I actually had a playout song in mind that was completely different. So you're going to play two songs and a playout? Well, if you don't, if you want me to just play one and then <laughs> quarter to eleven, what are we going to do? It's your episode. <laughs> you know, you're going to hold me hostage here. Okay. <laughs> How long is this episode so far? Uh, three, but we have some other some edits. Technical we haven't things. we haven't released a three hour episode in a while though, and this one deserves it. And look, there's a fucking pause button. If <laughs> yeah. you don't want to listen to the whole thing, we should put this at the beginning. There's a fucking pause <laughs> button. <laughs> I certainly didn't want to hear about Roller Coaster. <laughs> and certainly not seven times. Button. There's yeah. an unsubscribe button. What? Do it what you will with your free content, you animals. Pat's doing impressions over the songs of people that I don't even know who they are. He doesn't even know. <laughs> well, okay, this, this first band, oh my gosh, I love them so much. It's a band called The Like. And, uh, you know, they were formed... Uh, earlier in the, the early 2000s. And here's the thing, okay? The original three members, okay, there's Elizabeth Berg, who is the daughter of Tony Berg. He produced albums by X and Michael Penn, okay? There's Charlotte Froome, who is the daughter of- Mitchell Froome. Right, okay? <laughs> and then- He was married to Suzanne Vega. Yeah, but I don't think she's her mother. But anyway, and then there's Tennessee Thomas, <laughs> who is the daughter- Govern of Pete, Pete Thomas. Thomas. The drummer, the, the drummer from the Costello and the Attractions. <laughs> and so they, they put out their first album uh, in 2005. And then uh, Charlotte Froome left the band after that. And then they recorded this follow-up album with Mark Ronson. I mean, this guy's a big shot producer. You know, he's produced Amy Winehouse and Adele and Lady Gaga and Paul McCartney. Everything this guy touches turns to gold, except for the like. They put out this second album, which is girl group influenced and is just a fucking awesome album. And it didn't really do anything. And then not long after that, they broke up. And it's a real shame because I love this band. and I particularly love this album. Uh, this is the lead off track from, from the, uh, the, the second album. This is called Wishing He Was Dead. Awesome or what? That is pretty great. And she is not the daughter of Suzanne Vega. Okay. So I got that one right. You did get that right. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were right too, because she seems too old to be Suzanne Vega's daughter. Yeah. And they were they were on Geffen Records. Yep. Yeah. Their uh, one of their albums was produced by Wendy of Wendy and Lisa. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. 
Yeah, they were, they were just really good. I don't, I don't know what broke them up. I don't know if it was the lack of success after the second album or you know, there was other stuff that was going on. But success, uh, lack of success might make them not want to do what they're doing anymore. Could be. But if they're not having fun. Yeah, well, that's, I don't know. That's the way it goes. But uh, okay, so do you have another one from this decade or is it back No, I'm done. You are, okay. you are riding it out. I have, I'm not, I've stopped paying attention. <laughs> okay. What well, are we doing? This, this song is by Alice Bag. And this is sort of bringing things around back to close to where we started because Alice Bag was an early L.A. punk musician. She was a member of the Alice Bag Band. It's also a Popeye character, Alice the Bag. (laughs) They're also called the Bags. You you can see her with that band in the decline of Western civilization. Remember that documentary? Part two, The Metal Years? Oh, no, no. The first first one. Have you seen part two, The Metal Years? No. Oh, dude. And we're going to talk. So, I mean, she's been around since like, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And she's been, you know, a musician and an activist and a writer. And she only just put out her first solo album in 2016. And that this is where that song comes from. All right. And uh, you started from uh, 15 seconds in. Oh, no, 20 seconds in. I'm sorry. And I'm going to warn you all now. uh, It's not uh, an easy song. This is a song that she wrote and sings about domestic abuse. Oh, geez. And it's called He's So Sorry. Mark this down for another edit. A lot of people don't know that the B-side to this song was, hey, what I tell you. <laughs> and here again, she's also taking the, uh, you know, a, a tip from the, the girl group mold. Mm-hmm. And, and boy, it, you think the song is rough. You should see the yeah. video. It's, oh, really? It, it's very unpleasant. But, you know, it's, it's a subject that, that needs to be brought out into mm-hmm. the open. And the way that she's doing it here with this, you know, incredible artistry and really sort of tipping a very ironic hand to the uh, to the girl group songs because that was the thing that you know back then you know, the songs all, a lot of these songs that the girl groups did there was one that, that Phil Spector wrote and produced called He Hit Me and it felt like a kiss can you believe that fucking shit well that, that was, guy should be in jail <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that's where he is right now you got to be under the jail Jesus Christ but that was yeah I think that was a Ronette song too and did uh, and this is from the EP why do you listen to me <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, how'd I do? Also, the box set is called, uh, <laughs> hey, it'll never happen again, I promise. Jesus. Uh, this was a great episode. I also, want to, I also want to tell people that, where's my camera so I can hold this up? In your is it right over there? Yeah, it's right over there. <laughs> uh, Wes brought me a book called Riot on the Sunset Strip, Rock and Roll's Last Stand in Hollywood, forward by Arthur Lee of Love. Is yep. that Dick Tracy right there? 
That's Dick Tracy. That's no, that's Jaw. It looks exactly like Dick Tracy, though, right there. <laughs> yeah. No, the publisher is Jawbone. Yeah, it's an excellent book by Dominic Priori, who is a local historian and knows just like tons and tons of stuff about the rock and roll scene in Los Angeles throughout time immemorial. This is the revised uh, edition. Yeah, I have I have both editions actually. Oh, aren't you fancy? <laughs> but uh, what are the differences? Uh, the first seven is, pages is bigger. Uh, it has more pictures, and the text is a little shorter. The first a lot edition of the text has been revised. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I thank you for bringing me that. I know you, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you're rubbing it in my face that I don't know how to read, but uh, I appreciate you bringing this. Uh, Stephen Stills on the back says, if you've ever seen American Graffiti, the strip used to be like that. Stephen Stills, Buffalo Springfield. Thank you, Stephen. If you've ever seen American Graffiti, Mel's Diner has great shakes. <laughs> uh, Stephen Stills doesn't talk like that. Oh, really? I don't think so. Stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going round. For what it's worth, that's what he sounds like. <laughs> um, Wes, this was a great topic. Thank you very much. Thank I you had fun because uh, I'm not tired right now. Are you tired, Kyle? Nope. You took a seven-hour nap. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't have to pee either, which is good because we can't. No. Having a problem with the bathroom. Yeah. But well, the sink's there. Don't have a problem with the sink. The sink's ready. The sink's ready for my pee. <laughs> uh, let's do some promoting, and then West will play us out with some track, per- hopefully by a Los Angeles band. Oh, it's definitely from a Los Angeles band. Uh, Patreon page, people. Patreon.com forward slash rock solid podcast. Uh, lots of prizes. Uh, episodes uh, immediately after they're released. Weekly videos. Follow back on Twitter. The Rock Solid Database created by Carrie Scott. Lots of fun stuff over there. Uh, trying to keep it at 175 patrons. It's very difficult. We'll get a, gain a few, lose a few. We're currently at 171. So if you don't yet subscribe, uh, hop over there. $2 a month. That's uh, 50 cents an episode. Yeah. I believe it's worth it. I try, to, I try to keep up with it. I know a lot of my friends have Patreon pages, and they're like, oh, I, I rarely even go over there. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I, That's I worth really, someone's money. I really keep up with it. Hey, so go at your Patreon. I take it seriously. If no one keeps up with it, remove your donation from them and <laughs> give it to give us. Give it to us. <laughs> um, we are at Rock Solid Show. I am at Pat underscore Francis. Kyle is at Kyle Dotson Funny. Mm-hmm. West Anthony, you have... A podcast you are at notation pod on twitter yes my show is at notation pod on twitter uh you can find me at dr west anthony on twitter wait a minute uh, are you a doctor not a real doctor okay <laughs> but uh is there and- a doctor in the house <laughs> who has a twitter handle with a doctor in it we hey, then why's your hand been on my nuts <laughs> And my podcast is called Musical Notation. It is a film music podcast. It's been going for uh, almost three years now, and I'm still having a wonderful time with it. And I hope you will all listen. I got all kinds of great stuff coming up uh, in the future and all kinds of stuff going out in the past. And West Anthony is a a fabulous addition to the Rock Solid community. Uh, I like when you guys, I love when you guys are interacting on Twitter and talking back and forth about music and Trading music and stealing music and all that good stuff. So tagging us in things we don't remember. Tagging us in stuff. Remember when you did this? Nope, I don't remember the what I just said. The next listener that two comes in is going to be like, "Oh, is it safe to use the sink?" And we're going to go, "I guess. What? Why? Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> is, there, is there something wrong with the sink?" 
Like, oh no, you said about peeing in it. We're just dumb. <laughs> we don't we don't remember things. Also, rocksolidpodcast.com is where you can buy t-shirts and find uh, pretty much everything about us. And uh, that's about it. Well, anything else you want to say, Wes? Thank you for being here. This was a, a great episode. I hope you had fun. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I really want to thank you guys for letting me uh, come in here and, and uh, commandeer the show for hours and hours. You've but been in this room four or five times. Have you had fun every time you've been in this room? No. <laughs> yes, I have. Damn I've had fun it. all the time. Nothing Damn but it. fun. But big fat buckets of fun slopping over with fun juice. <laughs> Tell me about your t-shirt because I've been looking at it for three and a half hours. Oh, uh, this is this is the man with the light bulb head. Okay. Uh, it's from a song by Robin Hitchcock. Oh, Robin Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Okay. And, and he drew this himself. Okay. Well, he's definitely talented is when it comes to music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's your playout song? Uh, this is, uh, for me, one of the quintessential L.A. songs. It's by a group called Felix Figueroa and his orchestra. This is one that you may well remember if you've ever listened to Dr. Demento in your life. This is Pico and Sepulveda.